right, welcome back to the Line to Gain podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon, here as always with uh, Mike Parker. We are your hosts for this journey into the uh, 2010s NFL history. Mike, uh, how you doing, man? It's been it's been a couple of weeks. I know uh, we had a minor COVID scare, and so we, we pushed off recording this episode for one week, but uh, we're here and, and ready to go. Yeah, due to two events kind of outside our control, we did have to kind of push it back, but I'm glad to be back. And uh, wrapping up, you know, football from 1950 to uh, the 2010s. Yep, yep, yeah, I can't, I can't wait, man. This one got so crazy just digging. Like, there's so much information. It's like, there, there. I mean, there's so many things we're, that we're probably not even getting to in this episode, but um, yeah, this was this was a fun one. Yeah, a lot of things happened in the NFL, from rules to people trying to buy teams. A lot of owners uh, passed away in the 2010s, so there was a lot of movement of teams and ownership and kind of weird stuff going on. Um, we're seeing a transition into different offenses, uh, so that's going to be exciting. Yeah, a lot of fun stuff to talk about. Cool. As always, uh, let's let's uh, hear what Stat Guy uh, had to, had to come at us with here. Yeah. So Stat Guy um, picked up a couple of things. A lot of it's just clarification. We had a question about um, how the teams split ticket sales. So it goes sixty forty with the home team uh, getting the majority, um, and the revenue from the ticket sales is considered what they call local revenue and is exempt from the NFL's revenue sharing agreement. So it is important. We were like how do they get paid? Do they identify like Texans fans <laughs> by their shirts and do a little, the little clicker or no, it's just a straight 60, 40 split home and away teams. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Uh, I know my, I, I, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense now. Um, and I appreciate stat guy uh, correcting that for us, but my, uh, a hot take correction that I, I went ahead with in the last episode, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that Matt Flynn may have lost his starting job with when Terrell Owens, uh, with the Seahawks at the time, dropped a pass in the end zone. Uh, it was mentioned that it was around 07 or 08, but Russell Wilson's rookie year was actually in 2012, and I feel like a terrible Seahawks fan for even uh, even screwing that up. I can only assume it's just a small oversight that yeah. you really knew the rookie year I of do. Russell Wilson, and you just kind of blurted out some numbers. I've been hunting numbers. Russell Wilson rookie cards, so yeah, I, I do know that he was a rookie in 2012. Well, there we go. It has been cleared up. That's his rookie year, 2012. And we also had some questions about what record TJ Watt uh, broke this year. So obviously he got to 22 and a half sacks, which is tied uh, for most ever in a single season in uh, the NFL. Um, But what he broke um, as far as the Steelers record, the one that we were really talking about was the, the sack, the, the yearly sack record. Um, it was James Harrison at 16. So obviously he was breaking that kind of all year once he got to the 17th, the 18th, and so on and so forth. But yeah, he was he is not, uh, however, the single uh, single game stat, sack leader. Um, that was uh, Chad Brown. He had four and a half sacks on uh, October 13th, 1996 versus the Bengals. Chad Brown, when uh, he signed with the Seahawks, the Rumor is he was getting up to leave the meeting with Paul Allen and whoever the general manager was at the time. And Paul Allen just uh, handed him a piece of paper with uh, 
with a number on it. With a number on it, but there was no number. It just said whatever you want or something like that. (laughs) Classic. Yeah, as he was walking to the limo, his agent pulled him back in and they signed. So anyway. You got me like hyper aware of like when I look at these players, like whether they played for the Seahawks. I'm like, I I look at former Seattle Seahawks. Former Seattle Seahawks. It always pops. That's the first thing that pops in my head. So Uh, we had a question last week or last episode about who destroyed Peyton Manning in 02, 0 to 41. And it was the Jets, obviously. But you had a question, like who was the quarterback during that that season? So it started off with Vinny Testaverde. Um, He was replaced by Chad Pennington in week four. Um, their coach, um, Herm Edwards, that was the, you play the win to game year. Oh yeah. Yeah. Everyone knows that. Nice. Um, and it was the wild card game that they won, obviously 41 and nothing. Chad went 19 for 25, 222 yards and three tuts. Wow. That's amazing. That is amazing. So that's the team that beat Chad Pennington dream record. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's probably the, one of his uh, highlight games for sure. He was middle tier, like second, third tier, probably second tier for about a two-year, two-season window. Yeah, but he had the right seasons because he signed a big boy contract uh, at the like at some point. Like, I think he didn't even make it through. I think he got hurt or something. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, we got to be careful with what we say on this episode because there's no stack. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, may not be follow up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right, so the dynasty by decade rules. Uh, you must make the playoffs in a given year to earn points. Uh, to be the dynasty of the decade, you must win at least one championship or Super Bowl. Uh, teams will earn points based on how far they made it in the playoffs. So one point for making the playoffs, two for a conference loss, three for a conference win, four for a Super Bowl loss, five for a Super Bowl win. Uh, meaning that the team that wins a Super Bowl in a given year can earn nine points. And this will help us determine the champion and runner-up of the decade, as well as any other notable teams. Awesome. So let's jump into the categories. Our first category, as always, is this just in. Um, to start off the decade, um, or the yeah, this, to start off the decade, 2010, the first pick of the NFL draft that year was a uh, quarterback out of the University of Oklahoma, Sam Bradford. And I kind of looked at this and I went, man, I remember that guy. And then I started digging into him a little bit. And there was one thing that kind of stood out to me, and I'll get into that in a moment. So uh, his stats basically are he played for nine seasons, 2010 to 2018. He played with four different teams, Rams, Eagles, Vikings, Cardinals, and earned uh, $130 million in NFL salary. Mm. He was part of one of the greatest offenses of all time, the 2008 Sooners team. They lost to the Gators in that BCS championship. He won the Heisman Trophy that year. It was his sophomore season. So the offense that they ran um, was this spread offense. Um, it was a hurry-up, no-huddle scheme, mostly from the gun. I would say if you're looking at NFL um, you know, comparables, you look at the 1990s K-Gun Bills defense that they had with uh, Jim Kelly. But I was thinking, like, one of the things that he had done was when he, because he rarely took the snap from the center, he was always in shotgun. Um, when he was training for the uh, combine and he was training for um, the NFL teams, he, he hired this guy to kind of work with him 
to take the ball from under center. And I remember like he may have been, I mean, there might be some other ones, but a notable spread college quarterback that they really tried to force into an, an, a traditionally NFL scheme. When if he would have been coming out five years later, it would exactly. Have been, yeah. Now it seems like he was pretty brittle just in general. So I don't know if ultimately, you know, he becomes a different player because right. there, you still take hits. But I just we don't take quarterbacks from college anymore and shove them under center if that wasn't there. Um, how they operated, right? Right. So I know that the spread offense wasn't like invented in the 2000s or 2008 college. It was invented like in the 40s and and used in various different iterations throughout the NFL, AFL, and college football. But it's starting to become more of a prevalent thing in this era because that's what the, the, the quarterbacks in college are. That's the schemes that they run there primarily. So instead of trying to take a square peg and put it into a round hole, the um, NFL coaches and you know front office have decided like, hey, let's why are we fighting upstream here? Let's incorporate the spread. Let's try to find quarterbacks that fit this new offense. Um, we have a bunch of new co- head coaches that run it very well. Uh, I saw this thing the other day, like Tom Brady is older than all of the coaches that are still uh, in the playoffs. The co- yeah, and except for yeah. zone. Yeah, all the opposing teams. Yeah. I saw the same thing. Yeah, it's, was it was great. interesting. So that's kind of where we're at right now with this kind of quote unquote new NFL. Well, moving on. So for that $130 million, Bradford would play 83 of a possible 144 games of his career. Now, does that just from being injured or the, like... What about when he was a backup? I mean, was he? Do you can't. I don't. I wonder if that's it's just a straight. He just, he he, he played in these not. games okay. versus the total games for gotcha. those years. Gotcha. So there there are moments where he was a backup and didn't come in, but for a majority right. of his career, including the times he came in as a backup, he he rose to that level and would become injured at some point. So well, and, and making that hundred and thirty million, that was the last year before. The last collective bargaining agreement, I think, took effect, and they, they put the rookie wage scale in. Yep. So he was, he was the rookie salary the cap will be. The, yeah, we'll talk more about that yeah, a little later. But yeah, you're exactly the QB, right there. The QB, or the it scared him. The number one pick always set the market, so they were the highest paid player yeah. every year. So. And they still are for a rookie. A quarterback first pick is going to be at the highest wage scale or highest possibility for wage, even with the collective bargaining agreement. So So they look at the value of the position, the point at where it's picked. So a a quarterback in this wage scale makes more than a defensive end if they were picked number one? Wow, okay, that's really interesting. Okay, cool. So uh, let's review his injury history. So it started in 09, his junior season at uh, Oklahoma. Uh, He had an AC joint sprain. he did this to his shoulder twice, underwent season-ending surgery, entered the 2010 NFL draft. So basically, hurt it, came back, hurt it again, had surgery, entered the draft. I think he hurt it in the championship game or, or maybe one of the playoff games. It, it, was, like it, it was like two games prior. Oh, was yeah. okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so in 2011 with the St. Louis Rams, who drafted him first pick, he had a high ankle sprain, bothered him all season. He missed six games. 2013, again with the Rams, tore his ACL week seven, missed nine. Um, St. Louis, also in 2014, he tore his same ACL uh, in a preseason game, missed an entire 2014 season, six 
15 games. Uh, he was traded to Philadelphia and in 2015 suffered a left sol- uh, shoulder injury and concussion. He missed two games that year. And uh, finally, in 2017, uh, with the Minnesota Vikings, week two goes out due to a knee injury. They find major damage due to previous ACL injuries. Knee is scoped and was placed on the IR ending a season. So, in summary, as a rookie, he signed a six-year, $78 million deal, which had $50 million of guarantees and a max value of $86 million with incentives. This was the largest NFL rookie contract ever. Crazy. And I think this scares owners at this point. Like, why are we paying this much money for somebody that's unproven? And the Players Association had to have gone along with it because, you know, they were like, well, hey, why... We'd rather that money. It's only there. better for yeah. the players, you know, if, that these va- if these values come up. Yeah, exactly. Generally what happens, though, it, it's not good for the middle and bottom tier players because the, the upper echelon players kind of suck the money out. Um, so, as we were saying, this scared the NFL owners. Um, there was a lockout before the 2011 season, and a new CBA would be instituting a rookie, rookie salary cap uh, setting max contracts for players based on the pre- position and draft order. So we did mention that earlier, but I want to go ahead and summarize that. Yeah. Uh, um, also, in uh, that 2010 season, in the last few seconds of a week one game against the Chicago Bears, Calvin Johnson catches a pass in the end zone, uh, getting both feet down before being pushed out of bounds and losing control of the ball as he hits the ground. The play is ruled an incomplete pass, and it just sent everything people everyone was in a tizzy after that yeah so eventually um they updated i guess what is considered a catch but it took until 2018 and they eventually did away with the language about surviving the ground so if you catch the ball both feet down and fall out of the end zone now you're it's a Control the ball through the ground in the ca- to yeah. to be called a catch, right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. If the ball touches the ground, you're still okay, but as long as you have control of it. Correct. Right. All right. So um, this was an interesting year uh, for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they went uh, seven and nine um, in the regular season, but they won the NFC West. It was a really bad year for the NFC West. Uh, they ended up being the four seed because they won their division. And they hosted the five seed New Orleans Saints um, at, you know, what we called the clink. Uh, and this is the, this game. Um, Seattle won 41 to 36. And it was cemented by Marshawn Lynch's iconic beast quake run for a TD. So really, really good game set like seismic record or seismic, the seismic machines. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, set him off at the University of Washington. Um, so it was a whole thing about that. Um, it, I have like kind of a terrible story about like, so this was the day of my grandmother's Awesome, funeral. I like terrible stories. Yeah, it was the day of my grandmother's funeral. And we're having like a post, you know, like the post kind of get together thing. And a bunch of us are in like the corner watching the Seahawks game on a small TV and just start like when the beast quake thing happened it was like we really upset i think we upset some people so we were like oh you know like all my cousins everybody we were freaking out so it was uh it was 
it's impossible, no matter what the situation, if you're seeing a, if you're a fan and you see something like that, then you're going to audibly yeah. <laughs> celebrate. It was, it was, uh, it was an, an incredible play. And uh, yeah, it drove, drove me at my grandmother's funeral to cheer loudly. So I, it was probably not my best day. Well, after this win, the Hawks would uh, travel to Chicago the next week and find themselves in a 21 point hole at the half. And uh, t- uh, twenty-eight to three uh, by the start of the fourth quarter, they would make a valiant effort uh, to come back, losing twenty-four thirty-five. The game always felt a lot closer than that. It felt like we were right there, uh, Bruce, but it ha- if we had won, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, um, if we had won, um, we could have potentially hosted um, the next round against the Green Bay Packers because they were again um a wild card right that would have been and i just i was like doing the math in my head at that point and i was just like man this is this would be awesome for that to happen of course it never did the bell the bears spoiled it and you know the packers took care of them and won their super bowl where aaron Rodgers finally finally got one so yeah and then uh R.I.P. George Blanda, uh, my first pick of episode three's AFL fantasy draft, uh, sealing my second straight win. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, I feel. He was, he was a point scoring maniac. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, yeah. When I found that, that he was a kicker too and had scored that many uh, fantasy points, I was uh, pleasantly surprised yeah. in our draft. I, I haven't done too well since then, but. I don't know. I'm only up one. I, I think you've done fine. One, one up, one to go. <laughs> My back's against the wall. All right. So 2011, um, as we mentioned before, the NFL, NFL begins um, that year with a 130-day labor dispute and owner lockout. It lasted from March 11th to July 25th. No regular season games were missed or canceled. Um, obviously, it was due to the contract in part and you know owners going... These salaries are getting crazy, and part of that deal was getting a rookie salary cap put in there, and that allowed for some other concessions um, for the players as well. So they obviously still held the draft during uh, the draft. Probably wasn't until April, um, but I wonder if they had just regular free agency going on while they were working out. Because like baseball's in a in a labor dispute right now, and the players are locked out, and they can't. Like it's crazy. Like they, if you go to MLB.com, there's nothing on there. It's like, what was the greatest ending to a baseball movie ever, or like the top stories? And so they like have absolutely nothing going on as far as Major League Baseball. I can't sign a contract, can't do anything. So I'm, I'm curious. I'm gonna go back and look and see if the NFL allowed uh, if the, the teams to to sign players like like normal and just had to work it into the collective bargaining agreement once they had signed it. I haven't, I haven't done the research, but I would yeah, assume yeah, if it's a they lockout, they, they, the players are not involved whatsoever well, in any scenario. If they didn't, like, if there was, like, that many free agents, though, they can't sign until July 25th with training camp probably starting right after. That's interesting. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, I would assume that's the case. It's a lockout, Jeremy. Yeah, I'm just saying, man. <laughs> trying to figure it's not a lockout except for the guys that are already here no but i'm saying like that would have been that would have been a quick uh quick time crunch to get uh no regular season games missed and and get your training camp in there yeah uh, so it it, um so 
Speaking of the collective bargaining agreement, you had some some cool facts here. Yeah, so uh, the, also in that 2011, uh, the NFL and NFLPA agree on a collective bargaining agreement that dramatically overhauls the rookie contracts, uh, off-season workouts, training camp and practice schedules, and uh, the agreement is reached just days before training camp was set to start, uh, which was great. But yeah, they, you know, like we talked about earlier, the, the rookie wage scale, but from that point on, like they weren't allowed to hit very much in practice anymore. That's kind of like what's, you know, that really changed kind of the, I guess, yeah, just the off season for teams a lot because you, you know, you hear about teams getting in trouble for contact during uh, the OTAs, things like that. Now all the time teams have been, uh, have lost draft picks over it, um, been fined significantly. So uh, I think it really that in in kind of in conjunction with like the concussion protocol stuff. I think you know concussion stuff was really coming up a lot at that time too. So I, I think the players were really adamant about like less wear and tear on our bodies outside of game day. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. No more two a days. Um, no, they only had certain periods of time where they could hit uh, during training camp, um, and. Um, yeah, so it, it was all to kind of protect the player. It also contributed to some slow starts with uh, usually defense is a little lagging in the beginning of the season, right. and they catch up it kind of in the middle of the year. Um, but, yes, so there was a little more sloppy play in the first two, three games uh, as a result. Everyone wasn't as dialed in, I suppose. Yeah. So uh, this season, uh, despite all of those things, uh, would see an unprecedented passing offenses, seeing three of the all-time 10 single-season passing records. So number two at the time was Drew Brees, 5,467. Three, uh, Brady at 5,235. And Matt Stafford at nine at uh, 5,038. Eli Manning at 49-33 was 14, fresh off a Super Bowl victory, and Aaron Rodgers' uh, era was in full swing with an all-time single-season passing rate, passer rating of 122.5. So the quarterback position got more important. Yeah, yeah, that's a, you know, that, that that's the thing. You need a you need a, a top quarterback, and that has a lot to do with uh, with the next little portion here that, that you came up with, Mike, that I I'm, I'm, can't wait to talk about. <laughs> so one of the things um, when teams tank, you have to come up with a clever nickname, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the process or, you know, whatever. Um, the, the Indianapolis Colts, the fans, whomever, they had something called suck for luck. Well, yeah, it wasn't just the fans of the Colts, though. It was every team that was, you know, I mean. Trying to be the worst. I remember as a Seahawks fan hoping that we were going to be able to suck for luck as well. (laughs) Well, everyone was shooting for that uh, number one pick because the best prospect in the draft that year was an Andrew Luck. Um, He's probably the best quarterback prospect at that time since uh, John Elway, both Stanford. And uh, both picked by... The Colts, ironically. Um, The problem with all these other teams is none of them had Curtis Painter. He's the one that really led to that first-round pick. So, good job by you, Curtis. They had one of the top quarterbacks in the league that just happened to get hurt, and it's like, well, yeah, he's getting older. We have the chance to get this Andrew Luck kick. I I remember 
I was either like, let's get Peyton Manning or let's suck for luck. One of the, you know, or, or both, some combination of both. Like, let's make, put ourselves in a good position. But. Well, Curtis went 0-8 and, and uh, kind of disappeared after that. I, there's rumors that he's in witness protection, but obviously we can't confirm or deny that. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. That's so great. Uh, so, so I had, uh, speaking of... Witness protection. <laughs> disappearing. Yeah, speaking of disappearing. Um, so Tebow Mania. You remember this, Mike? I do. Uh, Tim I do. Tebow wins seven of his first eight games as a starter, including three overtime wins and a game one when he only completed two passes. Uh, shout out Mac Jones. Tebow Mania climax with a walk-off touchdown pass to Demarius Thomas to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in an AFC wildcard game. Rest in peace, Demarius Thomas. Uh, the Broncos would lose the next week to the Patriots, and Tebow would be traded to the Jets two months later and never have a full-time starting job again. Um, you know, I don't know if you remember the Saturday Night Live skit uh, with Tim Tebow, and, you know, he's – I forget what actor was playing him, but he's, you know, I just want to thank Jesus. You know, he's doing kneeling, doing the – uh, I don't even know if it's T-bowing they called, called it T-bowing. or something. Yeah, yeah, he's doing that, and they're and like somebody else is like, uh, maybe you should uh, be praying to Matt Prater because he's the one that's gotten you guys out of the more jams than uh, than Jesus or something. I don't know, it was something along those lines. So, yeah, pretty good, pretty good skit. But yeah, I mean that just shows you if if the uh, if Saturday Night Live's doing a skit about you and you're an NFL player, then you you must be on the radar. Of of quite a few people. Well, of pop culture, at yeah, least. Right. All right. So, 12, 2012 um, brought us a couple of controversies. And just like anything else, when there's a controversy, throw the word, or I guess it's a suffix, gate on anything. So, we had a couple of those. We had the Saints Bounty Gate scandal. Um, this is where the Saints defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, created a slush fund that paid bonuses or bounties. Uh, for purposely injuring opposing offensive players. The system was known to have been operated during Williams' tenure with the Buffalo Bills and the Washington football team. Rumors started after the 2009 NFC Championship game versus the Vikings uh, when they were uh, trying, known to head uh, headhunt uh, Brett Favre. Okay. Uh, they were caught on film during the 2007, uh, I'm sorry, 2011 NFC divisional playoffs uh, versus the 49ers with Williams talking about who they needed to injure. Man, they just caught him on film, this guy. So after the investigation was done, uh, Goodell and the NFL would hand down the harshest penalties in league history. Defensive coordinator Greg Williams suspended indefinitely, although he would return in 2012 as the D.C. of the Rams. Uh, Head coach Sean Payton was suspended for the 2012 season. Obviously, he came back to continue to coach the Saints after that. Interim coach Joe Vitt suspended six games. He took over um, head coaching job the head coaching job after those six games i'm not sure where he is now um gm mickey loomis suspended for eight games uh the players we had jonathan jonathan vilma suspended for the 2012 season anthony hargrove suspended for eight games 2012 will smith for four games and scott fujita suspended three games into uh in 2012 as well yeah i think that a uh arbitrator overturned all of the players all the player suspensions were overturned eventually yeah right so um i believe we mentioned that a little bit later but that's good to call out uh, at at this point no no apologies (laughs) you're you're fine my bad 
All right, so our second gate, as it were, is the Chargers sticky gate. So during a Monday night football game on uh, in October of that year between the Chargers and the Broncos, the officials checked the hands of Chargers players under the suspicion that they were using stickum, obviously a banned su- substance. We've talked about that before. Um, head coach Norv Turner has strenuously denied this. Um, there was a gorilla gold grip enhancer to be revealed to be on present on some of the towels. So they didn't actually have them on the gloves, but they found like another suspicious okay. thing where this uh, quote stick them system. I don't either. So I thought this was interesting. The charges were fined twenty thousand um, for not revealing the towel right away. Uh, but no players were found to have the substance on them. The Gorilla Gold was subsequently banned by the NFL. So there okay. you go. Not a huge yield, twenty thousand. No one, no one hurt. Well, now we'll I just mean, move they, on. They should probably take away all of their receivers' gloves now because those things seem like you damn near throw the ball. I mean, that's how Odell Beckham Jr. makes all those crazy catches because he basically has stick'em gloves. All right. First of all, I'm not going to say that Odell Beckham Jr. can't catch a football. Because or catches a football only because he has these gloves on. I'm not talking about his one-handed little sideshow. A lot of people catch balls one-handed, and they 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 all have gloves on, and I get it. That's not. Yeah, he might be able to do it still. But I will say, would not be able to do it at the high frequency that he's able to do it. I don't. You're gonna die on that hill. I got you. Yes. All right. I will say they did have a um, like a. TV guy that went in and had the gloves on and like tried and it definitely helped like an average human being catch a football. Okay. I will so say it's like that. steroids in baseball. Like well, me or you probably still can't hit a curveball, but even if we if I did, stuff, if I could but, connect, it's going over the fence yeah, immediately, exactly. right? Yeah, you're gonna walk into someone. Walk into one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So also in 2012, Nike became the official uniform provider of the NFL, still are to this day. Uh, the most yeah. tragic uniform changes were of the Seattle Seahawks. Man, we really like to overhaul when these guys take over. Uh, remember, we did it with uh, we completely changed our uniforms and when uh, Reebok took over. Right. Um, Several Reebok. Yeah. <laughs> Where did they go? Right. I think they're, they're just UFC, they're they're just doing like. CrossFit clothing yeah, now, CrossFit yeah. CrossFit and UFC, I think. But several other teams updated their logos, switching uh, up home and away jersey colors. So nothing really drastic, but we continued with that theme of alternate you know, colors for special events or home games. And we still have seen from time to time the throwback jersey. So those are still also around. Right. So, uh, yeah, also in, in 2012, uh, after... Indianapolis successfully sucked for luck. The, the two weeks after Peyton Manning was released and the, the Colts made the decision to draft Andrew Luck was just mayhem. Yeah. Every there were like people were tracking private jet flights across the country for who was who was where and you know Manning was in this, you know, and there there was a, a rumor. clamoring for Manning. Is that yeah, can we, what are we? <laughs> well, Paul Al- Allen allegedly sent his jet to Denver to pick Peyton Manning up uh, after he met with the Broncos, and he sent the private jet and his GM to meet with pa- Peyton Manning, but Peyton Manning refused to get on the plane. It's kind of a quiet stayed. flex on both parts, right? Yeah, I mean, really. Hey, GM, just get in the jet, get in the PG, get out there, see what yeah. he's got to say. 
And then Peyton's just like, eh, I'm good. I don't need you. Yeah. All right. So anyway, I don't want to live yeah, in Seattle. He signed with the Broncos. And well, he will rule history. that day, I will say. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, for sure. All right. So 2013, just like every year since 1985, pro football is was announced as American, the American favorite sport. So congratulations to football and the NFL. Um, also, the 49ers trade Alex Smith to the Chiefs um, and had the starting quarterback duties uh, handed over to Colin Kaepernick. Obviously, uh, not necessarily known for his football play, which for a period of time was pretty fantastic, but more for his uh, social stance. So I didn't want to call that out here. Um, also, kind of on the opposite end of social popularity, um, Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry, not Aaron Rodgers. Can I go back and do that? Because I do not want to no, miss no, these I'm two up. No, I'm do not. That in. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Aaron Hernandez <laughs> is charged with murder in August. He subsequently released uh, from the Patriots and was eventually convicted of said murder in April of 2015. Uh, he later committed suicide in prison. Yeah. Wild documentary on uh, Netflix if anyone's interested. Yeah. Pretty informative, I guess. Yeah. Um, there was the Riley Cooper incident. In, a, in this time of uh, social awareness, uh, the Riley Cooper incident just didn't look good for him especially. So, I couldn't believe that he... Just look it up if you don't know it. Yeah. Just Google Riley Cooper incident. He did some... He, yeah, he said some... some he said some stuff, stuff to that, people that he probably shouldn't have said. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and that was crazy, man. I mean, you're... Yeah. You're, you're on it. You know, he said some, he made some racist remarks and yep. uh, to a like random security guard at a country western concert. Um, and yeah, he just, I couldn't believe. I mean, he must have had to apologize to his teammates. He's not, he's no Richie Incognito, right? He doesn't have that pass. I believe we talk about him later, but all right, Richie. All right, former players sue the NFL for class action lawsuits, stating that the NFL hid effects of concussions and it's linked to CTE. Um, Obviously, they won that. The settlement was uh, $765 million. I'm not sure. A lot of that money was real slow to roll out, though, I remember reading and yeah, yeah. And, and how much do the lawyers been, get? I mean, yeah. I always look at that calculation. I go, how much really trickles down to the rank and file player um, that was part of the lawsuit? Um, I'm not, a, you know, a legal mind. I'm not going to break down right. all of that at this point. But it seems 765 is a, is a good number, I would think. Um, but I don't know how any anything <laughs> trickles down to the players. All right, we had a baby, uh, the baby buck outbreak. Um, Tampa Bay had a MRSA outbreak, and at least th- three players uh, being confirmed with this uh, deadly strain of staph infection. There was a couple other like players that hap- it happened in that particular year, but the Tampa Bay I remember being kind of like oh three. We got to shut things down, so they were they had to like go in and like super clean the the restrooms and things like that to try and get rid of it but i know it was like for a couple of weeks a big thing and speaking of the aforementioned richie cognito uh him uh jerry john jerry and mike pouncey were suspended after allegations of bullying uh from lineman jonathan martin and others but he was the main one 
Um, Also, offensive line coach Jim Turner was fired as a result of this scandal. I remember that being a kind of a big deal. I think Jonathan Martin came out into the media and told about it. And, you know, Mike Pouncey kind of, him and his brother um, kind of had a reputation. They were part of that Gators team that, you know, Oh, Aaron Hernandez Cam Newton was on. was on that team Tim Tebow yeah. and somebody said like I saw a tweet that said we need a 30 for 30 movie about like the 2000 I don't know whatever to 2009 Florida Gators champions Urban was Meyer, Harvin on that Urban Meyer was there Percy Harvin was there uh, yeah it was like all those guys the, the Pouncey brothers uh, Cam Newton was there at the time before he got kicked out for stealing a laptop uh, yeah, it was just, it was a wild, wild group of uh, people on that team. Well, it was the Miami Hurricanes um, recruiting style. Yeah. Like, get the criminals. Yeah, <laughs> shout out to my brother, Matt. <laughs> no, they didn't really do that. All right. Um, the two one seeds, also this year, the two one seeds, number one offense, uh, Broncos, and the number one defense, Seahawks, would meet in the Super Bowl. Um, the Seahawks won their first championship uh, in the 38 seasons, a 43 to eight. Uh, this this was a first. Mike, can we just stay in two? I don't want to even go to 2014. Um, Let's just stay here. I will affectionately remember that event in 2013, but 2013 as a whole, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it in the past. I'm just with you, man. <laughs> All right. So we have a couple of RIPs, unfortunately. So RIP Deacon Jones, uh, creator of the term SAC. Uh, which didn't become an official stat till 1982. Uh, but unofficially, uh, his stats were compiled by the Rams and the Chargers and the Washington football team. Um, have him at 173 and a half sacks in his 12 seasons. This is uh, per uh, pro football reference. It's an unofficial stat because they weren't really tracking it post to that, or yeah, prior to that, rather. Um, this left him first uh, all time. Uh, at the time of his retirement and currently third with Reggie White, second with 198 sacks and Bruce Smith, the immortal Bruce Smith, number one with 200 sacks. Wow. Yeah, rest in peace. He was a a monster. So also an RIP to Bud Adams, uh, the only owner of the Houston Oilers and Tennessee Titans had ever known up to that point. He was the original, uh, unoriginal member of the Foolish Club and an integral part of the formation of the AFL and the merger. He was also a major player negotiating the AFL-NFL merger, leading to the Super, uh, leading to the Super Bowl and eventual leagues uh, officially merging uh, for the beginning of the 1970 season. Yeah, super important person in the uh, in the grand scheme of things. Consigliere to um, Lamar Hunt in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah rest in peace for sure. All right, 2014 brought us a few more things as well. The league's partnership with Microsoft and the Surface starts. Uh, Microsoft provides the NFL with uh, special waterproof Surface tablets and provides uh, images on the previous play. Obviously, they use the like printed notebooks. You know, they would print the paper and put it in a notebook and bring it down. And they'd flip through that thing, looking at the um, at the previous plays from a from a high up like stadium view so they can see formations where the defense is now they just have it on the surface um it's funny like i work in part at, at microsoft and a part of the business that i do is people try to register their devices so occasionally we'll get people who somehow come up 
with these surface devices. They found them, I guess, and they try to register them. Um, and immediately it fails and like we'll try to follow up with the team that manages the registration piece and they're like you need to you need to figure out where they got this this is a you know nfl surface device and they shouldn't have it those need to be all turned in by the end of the year blah 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 they're especially waterproof and all this other stuff so this is the thing that this is why um brady got in trouble this year for throwing the surface when he was kind of irritated by a game not going his way yeah so they made it. He made it famous. Also, uh, Michael Sam, uh, Missouri, I believe, defensive player of the year, um, was, was the first openly gay player to be drafted. He was drafted 249th overall by the St. Louis Rams. Uh, I don't think he made it out of um, preseason, though. I don't think he made uh, the active yeah, roster. I thought he played a couple seasons before they mm. bounced around at least for a couple seasons. Could be wrong, though. Well, let's talk to Stat Guy. Yep. Um, yeah, and don't ask John Gruden about this. <laughs> uh, well, um, just like everyone else having, you know, labor issues in the 2010s, uh, we had the cheerleaders had some problems with the way they were being treated. Yeah, yeah. So cheerleaders from several teams sued their respective NFL teams for violation of the minimum wage statutes. And the courts determined that it was a seasonal job and not subject to the minimum wage laws. And when I feel like when we heard the low amount of money that these young ladies were getting paid for, you know, being half naked and, you know, freezing to death in the in the winter for to to get the fans riled up, uh, I, I was I felt terrible, man, for them. That that was the craziest thing, or one of the craziest things I'd heard. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how they're how necessary. Um, they uh, cheerleaders are during an NFL game. Right. I, I get the college piece and how that's been integrated and it's part of like the culture there. But I, I think at the NFL level, it's, there's a level of, I don't want to say respect, but we have to like, we have to try to achieve to be better. And I think exploitation and things like that um, is kind of not what they should be doing. Yeah, I mean, I feel... And it's not a male-only right. sport anymore, yeah, right? There's no, a lot no, of people, a lot of kids that watch this, and it just needs to yeah, be handled differently. 100%, and I agree. Like, maybe, you know, maybe we shouldn't even have trailers, but if you're going to have them, and the NFL and the amount of money they make every year should at least pay them a decent wage, I feel like. Well, just do it like the AFL did and the USFL did. They have like circuses coming at halftime and they'd have like an elephant, you know, bouncing a ball, you know, people diving off high. (laughs) All right. Also in 2014, uh, the United States uh, Patent and Trademark Office decided to invalidate some of the trademark protections uh, of the, uh, and excuse my language, I'm just going to use, you know, this for purposes of, you know, explaining uh, protections of the Washington Redskins stated that the name Redskins uh, can, can constituted an ethnic slur. Um, they were forced to uh, uh, sorry, excuse my language about fucking time. Yeah, right. <laughs> they were not forced to change their name, but um, could be open to they did open the door to counterfeiters to produce knockoffs without penalty. So it definitely says we're not going to get it involved with trademarking that name anymore you kind of proceed at your own peril um 
And since then, they've kind of changed the name and removed the logos, and they're moving in that right direction. We should be getting a really begrudgingly though. From the of South. course, yeah, they, of course, they, they were going to die on that hill. And I think it didn't really come down into. I mean, their owner is one of the worst in in all of sports. But uh, well, their original like, owner was massively racist. Oh, yeah, their terrible. their their uh, mascot was is a race a racist kind of word or term. And then we have just this other owner that has a massive kind of uh, sexism scandal going on and that's affecting his coaches, GMs, everything. They haven't fully unpacked that yet, or they have, and they're not telling us uh, the NFL. So um, I guess top to bottom, um, I'm not a huge fan of this particular team, never have been. And um, I think this kind of stuff just absolutely solidifies it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. So, um, yeah, thank goodness that they're finally changing that name. And, yeah, I don't even mind the Washington football team. I think that's I, – I would just stick with that if I was them. I think, I think they – I think somebody came out and said that they – like Boomer Esiason or somebody leaked out that it was going to be the Admirals maybe, but I, there's been no official word yet. So I mean, you have so many choices being in D.C. or D.C. associated or D.C. adjacent, however you want to call it. You know, the Senators, the Generals, the, you know, the Admirals, all sorts of things. The Congressmen, I don't know, Congress people. Um, I don't know. It's I think there's, you know, some government-related kind of n- names that they can can come up with anyways um so uh also in that in that same season there or that same year 2014 we had the ray rice domestic violence incident that probably would have just blown over like every other you know situation like that he said she said uh until we saw the video from the elevator in the in the hotel that they were staying at yeah, and he just the visual changed the game. Oh, that's for sure. God, man. Obviously, he was suspended uh, from the league indefinitely, never reinstated, and kind of has moved on. Yeah, and obscurity. It, surprisingly, him and his uh, that was it was his fiance at the time, and they ended up getting married and are still married, as far as I know. So crazy, crazy world we live in, man. Indeed. And speaking of a crazy world, um, Buffalo Bills. Um, we're up for a bidding war. After Ralph Wilson's death, the team was passed to his widow. Upon her passing, um, a Toronto business group headed by uh, Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, yes, uh, made a bid uh, with the fee- with a feasibility study in hand, proposed to move and proposed to move the uh, team to Toronto. He received a lot of backlash from the Bills mafia. Uh, and backpedaled using the old we need a new stadium rhetoric basically like well we want to keep the team here but if buffalo's unwilling to work with us to create a multi-billion dollar stadium for us then you know we're forced to move it to toronto that's always kind of like the the message that's kind of being passed along some company line. Yeah, there you go. There were some other ownership groups as well. Um, I hope I don't butcher these names. Tom Galasano, uh, former owner of the Buffalo Sabres. Donald Trump, staying on brand, didn't want to pay that much. Uh, Terrence uh, Pegula, 
owner of the Buffalo Sabres, uh, would make the winning bid of $1.4 billion. That's a, and yeah, that's when prices, I mean, these, the team prices now are just insane compared, you know, cause Jerry Jones bought the team for like the Dallas Cowboys for like $85 million or something in 1989. And then, I mean, I know that's, not he bought it for like 120, okay. $130 million. Right. Well, now that's worth like 8 billion or 7 billion. It's the most expensive. Uh, it's like 5 billion, but yeah. yeah. So I'm pretty. Are you sure it's not seven? Anyway, I'm not going to get into numbers with you. I'm bad at math, so <laughs> it's still a good. I mean, if, if the Buffalo Bills are worth 1.4 billion dollars, then you know that that teams in big cities are worth a lot more. But uh, anyway, so speaking of uh, big cities, the St. Louis Rams lease agreement to Edward James Stadium uh, was set to expire, and they were free to nullify their lease and relocate uh, on cue stan Kroenke purchased 60 acres of land in the inglewood neighborhood of los angeles california and apparently the land was slated for a walmart super center but the corporation, but the corporation couldn't secure the proper permits uh stan's wife ann walton Kroenke is an heir to the walmart fortune so they, they this I was reading this and I'm like this is crazy. Uh, so one of the things I noticed like we had a piece of property near my old house that uh, somebody had bought up and the plan was to put like 500 new apartment units and everyone went bonkers in the neighborhood. Like there was you know community meetings, there was petitions to stop it. They were asking them to put up stoplights and fix the roads because the traffic would be so bad. There was like all of this uproar. Um, and they and what ends up happening is they have these companies that go in and they buy out a property they close it off. They get all the permits and everything for it. And then they sell that package off to somebody who actually makes it. So I look at that and it just seems like, OK, I'm going to pretend like it's going to be a Walmart. And hey, we can't get the permits. Um, and eventually it turns into this mega football, like mega church, if you will. It has the NFL LA studios in the complex. It has one of the, the biggest, newest stadiums in the NFL there. Uh, it houses two professional football teams there, the Chargers and the Rams. Um, man, Gronky, I don't know. We're, I think I think he did it. I don't know right way. I don't know what happened behind the scenes, but it, it, he tried to make it work, and the lease kind of. Yeah, I mean, once the lease was up, it's time to move. Yeah. and I think that's what the NFL says. That's their their stand nowadays. They used to fight teams moving, but it's not like, hey, if you can't secure a stadium or a lease that you know gives you what you need as an owner, you have permission to kind of to move. Yeah, I mean, you almost have to. It's surprising though that they let teams move. I mean, St. Louis had just, like, they were only a few years removed from the greatest show on turf and all those sorts of things. So, you know, you wouldn't imagine them moving, right? You'd right. imagine, like, the Chargers, okay, you can see the Chargers moving because they haven't won anything in years and years and years. Or, you know, maybe Tennessee or uh, whoever, somebody like that. But not, yeah, I, I was pretty shocked to see the, the, the Rams move, be the, the team to go. But... They were from L.A. originally, so I guess that kind of probably played into it. So before we move on, because we covered this in the USFL episode, here's the, the Jerry Jones math. 
So the team was worth $80 million, and there was a potential that it was up for sale in 1983. This is the time that Donald Trump got into uh, the USFL. He had an opportunity to actually buy a legitimate football team. Well, I guess, you know, the generals were a legitimate football team, but he got, he got an opportunity to buy into the NFL at that time at $80 million. Um, it was sold finally to Jerry Jones in 1989 for 140 million. So in that six years, obviously, it almost doubled in value, and the franchise is currently worth 4.8 billion. It's the it's the so most right. expensive. You were right. I got it. Well, I don't I don't no, want to. I just so want crazy. I want the audience yeah. to know the truth. It was worth truth. a little. Now it's worth a lot. Yeah. That's what I like to say. So yeah, that's a <laughs> the Jeremy math. <laughs> It's more than it was. Yeah, it's okay. a lot more than it was, all right? Let's go. <laughs> all right, so um, we mentioned this before, but RIP Ralph Wilson uh, was the last remaining member of the Foolish Club and was the owner of the Buffalo Bills. And he was the original owner for the Bills when they entered into uh, the 1960 season and um, lasted till 2014. So. Yes, sir. All right, so moving on to 2015, this was – the 50th season of the Super Bowl era. Yeah. Exciting times, man. Yeah, but it also, uh, we saw a number of young stars under the age of 30 retiring due to NF, uh, due to health concerns. So we had uh, Patrick Willis, Chris Bo- uh, Borland. Man, the uh, linebackers for the San Francisco 49ers are getting decimated by this. Anthony Davis, Jason Worlds, and Jake Locker all retired, you know, yeah, Early and, and Jake Locker things. had, I, you know, because obviously he's a former University of Washington player and, and kind of led us back to a bowl game. And he actually came back. He could have left um, that last year. that, And everybody kind of knew that the rookie wage scale was going to be Im- implemented at some point. And he could have left with Sam Bradford and likely would have been the number two quarterback taken that year but he right. decided to come back come back yeah and it really affected his draft status yeah, big up, time i think he was still at like a low end of the top 10 or maybe number 10 11 pick something like well that. at least he could have secured a bag and, yeah. you know if he was drafted in 2010 right. see you don't think about that think about that equation like if i go in at 2010 i'm, I'm a first round quarterback i'm signing something for 50 60 million dollars yeah. but wait a year in 2011 you're you're getting half that over right. a you know four or five year and yeah, and, and it's I dramatic had difference. A, I had a contract offer on the table from the 49ers um, to be their backup quarterback, uh, but just decided to walk away. There it is. Which, uh, is, which is actually cool, too, just to toot his horn a little bit. That you would, you know, and say if you lose the fire for the game and you're, you know, you don't want to take the money, like that, that's kind of a. Uh, admirable i think yeah this is not a criticism at all i think people need to do what's best for them and you know oftentimes these guys have skills that go outside of their physical ability and um god bless them for like thinking about themselves and their families and and uh their life so um i do commend it to your point yeah Yeah. definitely also in 2015 the nfl has their first female coach and on-field official jen welter and sarah thomas respectively very cool i like that a lot um and you're seeing it more and more now so that's very cool um also in 2015 falcons are stripped of a draft pick and fined three hundred fifty thousand dollars for piping in crowd noise which you know we know the seattle seahawks have been accused of that for years yeah oh those tricky falcons yeah Yeah. we're really just the loudest fans in sports go ahead crowd noise gate 
noise seems a little long. All right. Um, we have a couple of RIPs uh, for 2015. Um, Frank Gifford um, and Kenny the Snake Stabler. Yeah, rest in peace, guys. Yeah. Huge contributors to early NFL 50s, 60s. Um, Frank Gifford was obviously the color man for Monday Night Football for many years. Um, so he was in our lives for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, yeah, moving on to 2016. Uh, the national anthem protest began as Colin Kaepernick uh, began staying seated on the bench and later kneeling in protest of police brutality and unequal treatment of people of color in America. Um, it should be noted that he started kneeling in part because he had spoke with uh, former service members about this to figure out how he could kind of still respect you know, that representation right. of the flag and also make a statement to what he was unhappy about. Yeah. And I think we should be allowed to be unhappy of how things are going in the United States, whether we believe it's the best country in the world or not. And we're not right. perfect. There are flaws to every, you know, country, Scandinavia, right. Iceland, they all have their flaws. And, you know, we should be allowed to bring it up, talk about it and, yeah. and, and try to you know, work just, for change. I thought this was such... A blown out of proportion story. It was a like, straw man. Yeah, I mean, it's like argument. Oh, like I'm no, I'm telling you, I'm not doing this. I'm I'm not disrespecting the troops. I'm not disrespecting the flag, whatever it may be. I'm doing this to yeah to voice my opinion about something that needs to be talked about, and this is my platform that I have for a very limited time. Um, yeah, I just think it. Yeah, it got blown up. By, it was also by, obviously usurped for some political gain, and yeah. we'll talk about that here in a second. Kind of the backlash from that. But before we do that, um, we have to do another R.I.P. Buddy Ryan, uh, defensive coordinator of the famed uh, 1985 Bears. He was uh, carried off the field when they won that um, on the shoulders of his players. He was also the architect of the famed. Um, gangrene Eagles defense from the early 90s, uh, one of my favorite uh, teams of all time. Um, so, yeah. So he also has two of the uh, most interesting sons. Uh, one's got long hair and looks like a former rock star, and the other one's got a foot fetish. Um, oh, Re boy. Rex and Rob. So shout out to those guys. <laughs> Always bring up the controversy on yeah. this. On this podcast, thanks, so, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, Foot no fetish, I'm this guy. I'm here for you guys. <laughs> All right, so moving on to 2017, Mike. Yeah, in response to that uh, continued anthem protest that we discussed earlier, um, obviously several other players joined in uh, to the whole movement. Uh, President Donald Trump asked NFL owners to fire anyone that "quote unquote" disrespects the flag. This led to a massive protest throughout the league, including some teams not entering the field of play until after the anthem. Now, let's let it be clear. These the players never were out on the field during the national anthem. They were no. brought out after. Um, that's how it was for so many years until 2001. And then they brought them out there. I get it. Yeah. Um, and now we're kind of holding people to this thing and if you're not there what does it mean and it just becomes like this thing but yeah, i remember as seahawks fans um the just ha like people would freak out and i'm like marshawn lynch would sit on the bench he did he sat on the bench for all the time like he would never be up standing up front for the for the national anthem and i don't think he was doing it necessarily to protest anything he was just like whatever i'm i'm here i'm getting ready for the game yeah so 
Yeah, I'm sure there were several players that did it, but obviously uh, Kaepernick was doing it for a reason. He had explained what he was doing and all that kind of other stuff. So that's, I assume, why it became such a big deal. You know, in all of the things that we talk about Colin Kaepernick, he never, as far as we know, did anything crazy or illegal, uh, unlike uh, the Carolina Panthers owner. Um, so also that year uh, that the team was put up for sale after it was discovered that the owner at the time, Jerry Richardson, was paying hush money to cover up questionable contact, including racial slurs and sexually suggestive requests of employees. Seems to be a theme um, for a lot of these players. We see it with the Washington football team this year um, and several other you know teams in the past. This has been an issue. Uh, with these uh, men of power walking into these buildings and um, kind of using it as a as a way to uh, essentially just harass people. So yeah, rest in peace, rich white men getting away with anything. Yeah, for sure. Also, true to our you know close to our heart, R.I.P. Cortez Kennedy, Hall of Famer, defensive tackle of the Seattle Seahawks, died at the age of forty-eight due to cardiac issues. Was Cortez Kennedy was amazing. He won the Defensive Player of the Year award on a 1-15 team. That's how dominant he was that yeah. year. Tez Rex, remember that? Like, like Halloween, like Tostitos or uh, one, or maybe Pepsi, one of those uh, companies would have a, a deal where they would – it was like half NFL player, half monster, and it was – Tez Rex was the Cortez Kennedy Amazing. half monster. It was, it was incredible. Yeah, it, you don't see players like that very often that are so profoundly uh, good at what they do that they win MVPs. Like Jerry West winning an MVP on a losing champion – you know, losing the championship, things like that. You just – those guys, those performances are uh, just elite level in history so he's an elite defensive tackle and uh he was missed all right yeah yeah rest in peace cortez kennedy for sure uh so 2018 uh moving on here mike we we had john gruden leaving uh as one of the most popular monday night football hosts of uh my lifetime and deciding to go back and coach the raiders uh, and was the highest paid coach in the NFL. And I don't remember exactly how many years he had been away since his uh, days with Tampa Bay, but it was at least a, like five or six years away from the game and comes back and is so, uh, you know, so wanted that he becomes the highest paid coach in the NFL. Yeah, and we certainly know how all that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know. R.I.P. John Gruden's career. Right. And speaking of R.I.P.s, we have a few more uh, for 2018. Uh, Paul Allen of Seattle Seahawks, big RIP to him. Tom Benson, New Orleans Saints. Bob McNair, Houston Texans, a bit of a controversial owner, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in our winners and losers. Uh, Alex Spanos, uh, San Diego, L.A. Chargers. Um, He was almost the owner of the USFL L.A. Express, but was offered an opportunity to become a majority owner of the Chargers at the time and took that uh, offer, and uh, the rest is history. Yes, sir. So 2019, yeah. the 100th season of the NFL. 100 years, man. This is insane. Yeah, that's, uh, it's always, it's, you know, I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like it, 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 that the game could be that old because it's so fresh and, you know, it's just, it's, because it's surpassed everything else, right? It's the most popular 
sport. Yeah, since 1985. Maybe, yeah. maybe uh, I heard NASCAR has a crazy following. I mean, we're it we're does. In the Northwest, we don't understand that stuff. Maybe, yeah, so. yeah, for uh, sure. But yeah, so also that year though, Mike, um, Saturday flexing was introduced, uh, and so they would they introduced games on Saturdays once the college season uh, was concluded, and um, yeah, that we one more day of football, baby, let's go. Yep. For sure. Um, also that year, Andrew Luck retires. Um, I think the suck for luck was generally it worked out uh, for the Colts. They had a pretty good run with him. You know, he was in a lot of AFC championship games, playoffs, uh, but he cut his career short uh, because of uh, various injuries. And <laughs> I don't know, I threw this in there, his love for engineering. Apparently he's like an engineering freak. He just yeah. loves it. Um, he has family kids now he uh, was in the in the news recently he kind of popped in you know right around the time that the Colts were having their run and um, he appears to be very happy so I I saw him and uh, actually it's funny because him and Robert Griffin the third were the first two picks of that draft in uh, 2011 or 2012 yeah and, uh, I don't Russell, know what is with you in the 2012 draft. Sorry, man. I'm just saying. Like, I, they, they had the two of those guys, um, and somebody took uh, – they were both at maybe the um, one of the playoff games for the, uh, for the uh, college football championship, and they were showing them side by side, and somebody took a meme – made a meme of it, and it was like, looks like you're – because Robert Griffin was, like, dressed to the nines. You know, he's, like, a, an analyst on whatever show it was, like, on ESPN – uh, pre-game show and, and Andrew Luck is dressed like, he's like oh it's your, your middle school uh, science teacher and your I don't know what they called Robert Griffin but it was pretty yeah there's always kind of a difference between those two players for sure so, um, yeah so I'm gonna um, so Antonio Brown this is one of my favorite things of this uh, this year just lo- like loses his mind for uh, for the first time but Mike, why don't you run us down the, the list of uh, Antonio Brown uh, nuclear reactions? Yeah, so it's not just 2022 where we see him kind of setting fire to his career. This dates back to 2018. So bear with me here. I'm going to run off these pretty quickly. 2018 has an on-field fight with Ben Roethlisberger and is traded to the Oakland Raiders. So it's like, hey, we're not going to deal with you. You're gone. 2019, Brown's helmet model is banned by the NFL due to its inadequate protection, and he holds out and files a grievance against the NFL. Uh, All of them were denied. Uh, He finally rejoined the team uh, once a suitable replacement was found. And this we're capturing all of this on Hard Knocks that year. Right, and real quick, I I feel like maybe the NFL banned that helmet for a reason, the way that he acted from that point on. So go, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Also in 2019, he wears improper footwear in a cryo chamber and gets frostbite on his feet. He has, he's kind of bedridden for a while and his feet don't, aren't working like they're supposed to. And frankly, he kind of needs those to be a receiver. Um, Also 2019, he recorded and subsequently released audio of John Gruden and asked to be released. Uh, He was then, uh, signed with the New England Patriots, so he was released, and he. I remember everybody was like, there were uh, rumors that Russell Wilson had been working out with him in the off seasons area, so everybody was like really wanting him to come to Seattle. I'm pretty happy he did not. Yeah, for sure. It's just hard to to cheer for a guy like this. 2019 uh, rape allegations by his former trainer 
followed by a second accuser of sexual assault. Also 2019, sued by the Pittsburgh doctor for unpaid bills, totaling about $11,500. Again, 2019, it was a busy year for him. Uh, after texts um, intimidating his sexual assault accuser surfaced, he was cut by the Patriots. So even they have limits, apparently. Um, 2020, following several domestic incidents uh, in his the Florida Hollywood... Hollywood, Florida Police Department were called. Um, the police youth league ceased their relationship with Brown and returned any donations. So I guess he's got a bunch of calls. They're going out to his house and they're kind of seeing what kind of guy this is and just kind of cut their ties. Um, also 2020, days after the Hollywood PD an announcement, um, Brown and, his and an accomplice would be arrested for assaulting a moving truck driver at his Hollywood, Florida home. All right, he kind of settles down for a bit, right? So in 2021, suspended by the NFL for providing counterfeit vaccination cards. This yeah. is so ridiculous. And then in 2022, the event that you're kind of alluding to at the beginning of this, uh, he melts down uh, in a game, um, takes off his helmet, takes off his shoulder pads, his jersey, naked, throw his, throws his undershirt out in the crowd, his gloves in the crowd, and then pieces out through the tunnel um, during a game. Yeah, I mean, the guy's had a wild ride, man. And uh, we're going to, I mean, we're definitely going to see him pop up again in a little bit in the fantasy football draft for the 2010. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which I was, yeah, I was kind of surprised how good of a 2010. And I'll give you two guesses. I'll give you one guess who picked a player that is, has his questionable background. I'm oh, just saying, so I'll just, I'll just say you, that. You always say, I just look at the points. Like, <laughs> No, you look at their, you get the ones that have a, like a criminal record. <laughs> That's right. first and foremost. All right, all right, all right. So uh, also in 2019, we had that amazing uh, or terrifying Brown Steelers brawl, right. depending on uh, how you how you how you thought about it. Um, you know, Miles Garrett tries to take off Basin Rudolph's head with his helmet intact, um, and, and was subsequent subsequently uh, suspended for the remainder of the 2019 season. Uh, but was actually reinstated after six games. Uh, Marquise Pouncey, the center for the Steelers, was suspended for two games, and Larry Ogunjobi was suspended for one game. And, you know, there was some... I don't know, man. People just didn't like Mason Rudolph, so I think a lot of people sided with Miles Garrett, other than probably Steelers fans. But it, it kind of seemed like Garrett was trying to... You know, I don't know. It was like ripping at his helmet as he was going down because he got sacked, and then Miles Garrett lost his mind. So I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I think. He yeah, it sounds like helmet. it was on the field kind of stuff that led to, uh, I guess, an on the field brawl. So it was like within the game, uh, violence right. leading to kind of actual violence. violence so yeah. swinging helmets and such, and everyone yeah. got suspended. So exactly. All right, Spygate 2, uh, also in 2019, Patriots accused of illegally taping the Bengals. It's funny the teams that they choose to illegally tape, quote-unquote, uh, the Bengals and the Jets, two relatively bad teams uh, if you look at NFL history. So, interesting. Yeah, and then uh, the, the last item of the 2019 in the, the playoffs, uh, actually the NFC Championship game, 
we had the NOLA no call. I didn't realize it was called this, Mike, at the time until uh, I read up on it. But uh, with less than two minutes remaining in the NFC Championship game, Rams quarterback Nikel Roby Coleman essentially tackles Saints wide receiver Tommy Lee Lewis before Drew Brees' pass arrived on a third down play. No pass interference was called, and the play was not able to be reviewed. Uh, the Saints were forced to kick a field goal instead of having a first and goal and being able to run the clock out. The game, uh, I'm sorry, the Rams got the ball back and scored to tie the game and eventually win in overtime. In the offseason, the NFL changed the rules, allowing coaches to challenge pass interference calls. However, that was only a one-year experiment, and very, very few of those calls were changed on the challenges, and the, the rule was not uh, kept the following year, so it's, it's no longer uh, It seems like it was put in there to placate you know, some, some people, but right. kind of quietly took it out. All right, man, that is this just in. That ends that category. Um, our next category is the teams. So there isn't a lot of changes here, so we'll just run through the 32 teams as they started the 2010s, and we have a couple of changes just to make note of. It's not a big deal. So uh, we'll start with the AFC. Uh, we got the AFC East. We have the Dolphins, Jets, Bills, Patriots. The AFC North, the Bengals, Ravens, Steelers, Browns. The AFC West, Raiders, Chiefs, Chargers, Broncos, and the South, the Colts, Texans, Jaguars, Jaguars, Titans. Yes, sir. And then the NFC, we had uh, the NFC East made up of the Cowboys, Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, and Washington football team. The NFC North with the Minnesota Vikings, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, and Detroit Lions. The NFC West with the San Francisco 49ers, St. Louis Rams, Seattle Seahawks, and Arizona Cardinals. <clears throat> and the NFC South with the Atlanta Falcons, New Orleans Saints, Carolina Panthers, and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yep. And uh, in 2016, obviously the Rams moved to L.A., where they're at now, from St. Louis. And in 2018, the Chargers moved to Los Angeles. So Los Angeles goes from no teams to two teams both playing in the same SoFi Stadium that we mentioned before uh, in uh, Inglewood. Yep, yep. Uh, our next category is changing the game. In 2010, new overtime rules implemented for the playoffs. So prior to this season, OT was sudden death, first team to score wins after the current rules we have now. So essentially, if you score a field, like, if you score a field goal, both teams have an opportunity to possess the ball. If the first team scores a touchdown, it's over. Defensive score is over. There's some other complicated things here that I don't want to go into. But if you love the game and you know what you already know what this is. Right, right. Um, yeah, also in 2010, a play will now be whistled dead if a ball carrier loses his helmet while still in possession of the football. The ball will be spotted at the point where the player loses his helmet. So good safety rule. rule. Yeah, yeah good rule. Good rule. Um, also, speaking of safety and a good rule, defenseless receiver defined. Uh, cannot hit a receiver in the head, neck area by an opponent launching themselves and making contact with the helmet, shoulder, or forearm. Basically, stay away from the head and neck. Absolutely. No matter what. Yeah, no matter what. So, also this year, uh, during field goals and punts, opposing defensive players cannot line up directly over the center. They must have their entire body outside the snapper's shoulder pads. And kids, if you're at home listening right now and you want to go to the NFL, learn how to be a long snapper. Apparently. 
Uh, NFL relaxed all rules regarding crowd noise, citing improvement in internal communications. The legislate the fans rules were implemented after Sam Weish and Boomer Esiason of the Bengals incessantly complained about crowd noise during their Bengals Saints game in the Superdome. So they lax those. Basically, yeah. just let them, just let them scream. You guys yeah. can hear. Babies, man, babies. Um, yeah. So uh, after the half has expired, dead ball personal fouls uh, by the offense or defense will be enforced on the succeeding kickoff. So. For instance, no more untimed downs, which makes the enforcement more consistent for both offense and defense. So, there it is. Yeah. All right, they're cracking down on illegal hits again. We're we're doing that safety thing. NFL announces uh, that suspending players for legal hits was on the table, and urged re- referees to pay close attention to set hits. So, yeah, absolutely. Don't leave it in your pocket. <laughs> Uh, if a punt returner signals for a fair catch, muffs the punt, and the ball is caught by the punting team before it hits the ground, a fair catch is awarded to the receiving team at the spot of the inter- interference. Uh, so it's not a fumble. But the punting team is no longer penalized for attempting to catch a muffed fair catch, which I didn't know was even a thing. I didn't know you could be uh, penalized for that. So. Uh, if a replay review inside the final minute of the half results in a ruling reversal and the correct ruling would have kept the game clock running, officials will run 10 seconds off the game clock before play is started again. And that's been a pretty common thing lately. I, we've seen that quite a bit. You can either, but you can take a timeout to negate the 10 second runoff. So I feel like the rule book for the NFL that the referees have to kind of figure out is longer than this podcast is going to be. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also that year, officials will call more 15-yard penalties for spearing or launching at defenseless players. Uh, defenseless players are players who just through a pass, attempts to catch a pass, are in the grasp or attempting a kick or on the ground at the end of a play. So no, you can't just run in and clean somebody up. Like, yep. Uh, yeah. I'm, Remember, uh, I just watched Gronkowski. Man in the, yeah. yeah, man in the arena where Gronkowski got upset with one of the Buffalo Bills players and launched at him on the ground and knocked him out for, you know, I mean, yeah, he was out for a few weeks or something. So anyway, um, so if a loose ball strikes a video board, guidewire, sky cam, or other object, the ball will be dead immediately and replayed from the previous spot. And we actually just saw this in the Cowboys uh in the, the latest round of the Cowboys losing in the first round of the playoffs, uh, they hit the video board. The punter, I believe it was the, da- I think it was the Dallas punter, hit the video board. And so they went back and, and replayed, the, replayed the down. So it was just interesting. Yep, that twist. must have been just an amazing moment for Dallas Cowboy fans. <laughs> yep. This is the price you pay for winning three Super Bowls in the 90s, I'm just saying. Right, right. And uh, also in 2010, uh, in the regular season, the sudden death overtime rules will apply, but in the playoffs, only a touchdown on the initial drive will end the game. If the receiving team kicks a field goal, the other team gets a chance to match the score. If a team fumbles a punt or kickoff, it is considered an opportunity to score. Also, all replay reviews will be initiated by referees. So just you know, some minor, or I guess not really minor, so pretty major tweak to. Uh, to the overtime rules because before you just go team gets the ball goes down the sudden death yeah yeah um 
Yeah, and centers are now allowed to wear uniform numbers 50 to 79. Uh, defensive linemen can wear 50 to 79 and 90 to 99. And linebackers can wear 50 to 59 and 90 to 99. This is and a game changer for selling merch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they've updated it even further now. I think pretty much it's a free for all. Can yeah. Wear they, we got defensive ends wearing nine. It's yeah. yeah, it's just it is what it is. We're running out of numbers, man. There's yeah. only so much. We're gonna have three digits here pretty soon, yeah. I figure. Yeah. All right, 2011 kickoffs were moved to the 35 yard line. This was done to reduce the number of returns, injuries, and fun. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I, I honestly like you see guys return a ball and you like why are you coming out? Yeah, why even come out? Like, what's the point? And what are we doing here? Yeah. There's also an increased chance of ejection or suspension for flagrant hits, so they're they're upping upping the ante. Yeah, the yeah. The, the the NFL told the refs to pay attention to that stuff. Um, all scoring plays are reviewed starting in 2011. I think that's huge. Yep, that is that's very good for the sanctity of the game. Uh, to go along with your um, your 35 yard line rule change. For kickoffs, um, touchbacks are now brought out to the 25-yard line. So, you know, yeah, like, what's the point of even leaving the end zone? Well, I look at, like, when they take, they come out, I go, all right, are they going to make it to the 25-yard line? And I hope somebody's tracking those stats. It's like, just take the knee. What What are the chances? Like, through the gameplay, just start at the 25 and go. Don't risk the fumble. I get at some points of the game you want to do something or if you see something in the way that the, the, the formation is set up or the players are coming down and how you're blocking or you have a, a particular thing that you want to accomplish, I say go for it. But generally speaking, man, if I was a coach, I'm like, why? You got to the 15. You lost his 10 yards by t- coming out. Yeah. And, and to go along with that, another uh, kickoff-related rule change was uh, that – they outlawed wedges on the kickoffs. So, you know, I don't know anybody who watched football in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you'd see the wedge of a, a group of players in front of the ball returner, uh, the kick returner. And now all blocking wedges are reduced to two players. And so I played at the same high school that Mike Sellers went to. Mm. Uh, NFL great. Well, NFL pretty good. Uh, that guy's a monster. Like he like he went to the CFL, came worked as like didn't go to college. Went to the CFL out of high school because I, I mean he might have played at Walla Walla Community College. It doesn't exist anymore. And uh, Walla Walla CFL, or the college? The, well, probably both. I don't know. I haven't been <laughs> over there. Uh, but uh, he made it to the NFL from. Yeah, I think he might have won an MVP in the CFL. Even made it to the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. Got pulled over with like cocaine in his car and cut, and then made it back with the Washington football team. And I mean, yeah, the guy's a, a freak athlete. But uh, he, I there, we used to have to play this team called uh, from South Kitsap High School, and they were mod, they were huge. They were just they had so many like they pumped players into like college and the NFL, and our coach would show us a video because Mike Sellers is probably five years older than me. They would show a video. He would show us a video. That was the last time we had beat that team was when Mike Sellers was a senior. And he goes down, and the South Kitsap's trying to make a wedge block. He blows up five guys in front. The wedge is like five guys. He blows all five of those guys up and tackles the ball carrier in like one fell swoop. It was the 
most like exhilarating play I've ever seen. So we would always get to watch that before we went and got our asses kicked by South Kitsap every year. Well, the the wedge was definitely the most violent part of that whole uh, yeah, kickoff experience. Exactly. So another interesting rule, I thought this was funny. Um, the Boise State rule was enacted. So those who don't know, the Boise State um, college football field is blue. So we have a lot of synthetic turf now. Generally, it's green just to make it look like grass. But some other schools uh, in college have decided to be funky with it and change the colors. So Boise State's green. I think Eastern Washington is red, like the whole field's red. Um, They enacted a rule basically stating that all uh, playing surfaces, fields, must remain green. No other colors are approved. or You can't use any other colors unless they're approved by the league, which, of course, they haven't been. Um, Teams were getting pressure from their stadium sponsors to change the field colors. Uh, Did you ever hear the the urban legend that birds would try to dive into the Boise State field and kill themselves basically thinking it was water. I did not yeah, know that at was, all. That's I, it's not true. I that used to be the, that used to be what people said though. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> I can't see all the white. Like what are we doing here? Just well, so yeah, if the bird if the bird can't see from that high up, like what are they doing? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, 2012, um, the turn- turnovers are now all reviewed. So previously we added all scoring plays, now all turnovers, just to verify that it's an actual turnover. There's no contact to the ground. I think this is great. These are small moments in the game. They automatically go to um, New York or the wherever, <laughs> uh, the Shire, um, and they review real quick, and they have that response ready generally before we get back from uh, – commercial breaks so. yeah and you know I, the other thing i like recent i mean it, this is a more recent thing um over the last i think it might just be this year where they just can buzz down now from the booth and say that was the wrong call reverse it or yep. whatever so yep very you know it's speeding the game up and, and getting it right at the same time which are both super important so yeah so also a new rule change in 2012 too many players on the field results in a dead ball foul I didn't know that wasn't uh, wasn't a thing, and I'm assuming that's only on offense because uh, you know you see the guys get caught running off the field on defense all the time, and it's, they they have a free play, you know. So right, yeah. So I guess I should have said offense, but we're good. Uh, 2010 overtime rules are adopted for pre and regular season games as well. So all that all that. Uh, playoff uh, overtime rules that we discuss now adopted into the regular season Perfect. and preseason yeah. and uh, illegally kicking a loose ball now results in a loss of down. So I've seen that a little bit recently. I've seen it like try to guys. kind of chip it out so you can have it easier. Like the ball, like if, if it's like rolling around on the ground or something, I know. Try I mean, despite its name football, you're not really supposed to use your feet for anything yeah. in this game except for running. Yeah. All right, 2013, that um, I believe there is a new 30 for 30 coming out about this particular event, the tuck rule game. Um, That tuck rule, that rule that created the Tom Brady and Patriot era um, was vacated in 2013, making it a fumble if a player loses the ball while bringing the ball back to his body. 
Yes, sir. Uh, runners and tacklers are prohibited from initiating contact with the crown of their helmet outside of the tackle box. Yeah, no spearing for sure. No more. Also, uh, no peelback blocks. So it's now a 15-yard penalty. Now, if you ever want to see one of the most brutal peelback blocks that you can, just Google Golden Tate, Sean Lee, peelback block. Sean Lee was depleted, deheaded. Decapitated. And that guy had such a bad problem with concussions too. Was... He he, I, I'm not sure he was always injured. You know, apparently a good linebacker for all intents and purposes, but just couldn't stay on the field. And right. it's because he didn't have a head on a swivel for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, also implemented in 2013 on field goal or extra point plays, the defense cannot have more than six players on the line of scrimmage on either side of the snapper. If they do, it will result in a five-yard illegal formation penalty. Defensive players also can't push down can't push down linemen into the offensive line. That will be a 15-yard unnecessary roughness penalty. Also, the snapper is now considered defenseless and can't be contacted until he becomes an active blocker. So. so apparently what you can do, however, is throw the defensive end on the ground if you're an eligible receiver. <laughs> so, interesting. Um, yeah, so once again, uh, kids, if you want to go to the NFL, learn how to long snap. If a coach throws a flag on a scoring play turnover, play inside two minutes or of either half or during overtime, the team will be charged a timeout automatically. If the team doesn't have any timeouts, they'll, they will be assessed a 15-yard penalty, but the play will still be reviewed. Because you you got to pay attention because yeah. the auto, it's automatically reviewed in those moments. Just keep it in your pocket. Exactly. All right. One uh, RIP dunking. Um, so in 2014, dunking the football on the goalpost is now a 15-yard penalty. Um, now, I was like, why are they doing this? This is stupid. Let them dunk. Um, but apparently, Jimmy Graham uh, dunked on uh, the goalpost one time, uh, bending the goalpost, stopping the game for several minutes while the field crew had to come out and repair it. Um, we there was a They rose the, the height of the uh, goalpost uh, about four or five feet, you know, some years prior, and it was adding to the weight unbalance of the thing so any slight you know pull on that made it a little bit more obvious that it was you know cambered incorrectly right. so um it it sucks i thought it was a fun little celebration yeah, really um, was. but Absolutely. what are you gonna do you don't want the game to stop no uh so grabbing an opponent's jersey for any reason is now a penalty which i guess seems like a good rule i don't know Sure, yeah. You know, why would you? Yeah, you don't need to. So, 2014, I'll say this. Finally, the Seahawks benefit from a bad call. So, Jermaine Curse of the Seattle Seahawks fumbles the ball on the goal line, and Navarro Bowman clearly recovered that ball. Upon the recovery, his knee breaks, and he drops the ball in pain, and it's recovered by Michael Big Rob Robinson, and the Seahawks are awarded possession. The NFL expanded the rule, uh, to include loose balls, even if the play is called dead. So, so he possessed the play. ball, he hit the ground, but let it go. 
after he hit the ground. So he should have possessed the ball through the ground and the contact. It should be should have been 49er ball. Um, but that one led, obviously, to our ability to, you know, go to the Super Bowl. Right. And we'll, like, kind of keeping it in the same uh... – same lane with that a fumble or a potential fumble is now reviewable no matter where it happens on the field there you go there you go as it should be and uh also the one other one that i thought was just super arbitrary uh abusive language directed at opponents or officials is now a 15 yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty who decides what is abusive you know you're in the heat of the moment i you know. It reminds me of that movie Shawshank Redemption where he asked the, um, the the jailer, like, why are you being so obtuse? And he got, like, super offended and threw him in the hole and all this other stuff. And I just wondered, like, a quarterback going up to a <laughs> referee and using, like, this old school, <laughs> quote-unquote, abusive language and getting getting a flag. Man, why are you being so obtuse? That wasn't a foul. Yeah, no kidding. That's funny. Yeah, um, yeah. It seems like such a just ridiculous, uh, ridiculous one. All right. So moving on to 2015, Mike. Uh, a new rule allowed a certified medical trainer to call a medical timeout when a player appears disoriented or concussed. Mm-hmm. Uh, this timeout is not to be charged to the team, uh, the team whose player is injured, even inside the two-minute warning. So uh, you know, and. and Thank God they put this rule in because every once in a while you'll see a guy just wobbly legged, get, you know, coming off the field, trying to come off the field, or or trying to get back in the huddle, to get back up, or yeah, whatever the case, and and, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a scary scary uh, situation. So it's it's good that they're able to, and I think even the refs now will just if they see a guy wobbling, they'll stop, you know, they'll blow the blow the clock dead, and uh, for the for the medical staff to come out, so. Instant replay was expanded to include whether time should be put back on the clock at the end of any period or... So they'll look at it whenever the ball was down by contact. That's where they'll reset the clock to, basically, right? Right, right. Uh, This was a pretty uh, important one. The line of scrimmage for extra point tries will now move to the 15-yard line uh, from the two-yard line. So two-point conversions will still be run from the two-yard line, but... I think that they just felt, you know, they had like 98% of extra points were were kicked in in previous seasons from the, you know, with the ball spotted at the two-yard line and just thought that it would add a wrinkle to the game that made it a little more challenging. And, um, you know, we saw like there, you see there every Sunday there's multiple missed extra points. So, yeah. Um, all, all, all super interesting uh, little, you know, little nugget they put in there. Um also keeping in in, in uh, line with that extra point and uh, two point conversion attempts, d- defenses will be allowed to return turn- turnovers uh, on two point tries or block PAT kicks to the opposing end zone for two points, mirroring the NCAA rule that had been adopted in the 1988 season. I didn't know this wasn't a thing until 2000. Yeah, I remember they brought. I remember when they added it to the thing. I mean, every point counts. It just seems like going, you're, you're on the, you're in the red zone, right? And you catch it, get an interception to the house on a two point conversion, you get two points. So, um, field goals are six, right? Because they're, it's kind of a change of possession. It's a turnover because it's not post, uh, score. 
post touchdown. Right, so, right. and uh, yeah, also in that 2015 season, uh, coming back to the Deflate Gate situation, there will be increased testing, oversight, and security surrounding footballs and at random games. They'll test the PSI uh, before and at halftime of games. It just, I mean, this is again, you know, watching the the Tom Brady man in the arena documentary that's been on right when he talks about this obviously he's gonna try to explain it away like it was nothing but i mean do you think he was really going in and letting a little bit of psi out of each a little bit of air pressure out of every ball until it was to the point he really wanted it or do you think it could have just been like it would they were the balls came from cold weather into warm or vice versa and you know it changes from what i understand that the um the margins were so close, it would be almost impossible. I think that he instructs the guys taking care of the balls to inflate it to a certain percentage. I think that is, is was low. He liked it a little lower at the lower end. Yeah. And after that, you move the ball around, you take them cold to hot, hot to cold, whatever it is. Right. It does change, you know. My tires the other day, when it got cold, all of a sudden I went from 39 PSI to 31 in my truck tires. So, I mean. Uh, somebody was probably letting that out, air out of your tires. Yeah, it was probably Tom Brady's um, equipment manager. <laughs> all right, moving on to 2016. Truck gate. <laughs> truck gate, right here in, uh, in beautiful Olympia, Washington. Uh, anyway, automatic uh, ejection for any player who's flagged for two specific unsportsmanlike conduct fouls in one game, um, which is, you know, that's definitely a newer rule. That you fool me once, shame that. on you. Fool me twice, not going to get fooled yeah. again. <laughs> Don't fool with me. Um, they, uh, yeah, they because you know, now you'll hear when somebody gets an unsportsmanlike conduct, they'll say that's number 48's first unsportsmanlike yep. conduct penalty of the game. Um, so I'm just going to go kind of rapid fire through these. Uh, teams do not have to designate a player in advance to return when placed on injured reserve. Any player on IR can return after six weeks, but teams are only allowed to have one player return. So before it was once the guy goes on IR, he's done for the year. Right. Now it's you can return after six games. Um, all chop-style blocks are illegal. Finally. Absolutely. You know, it was like it started off – no chop blocks if engaged with this. No right. chop blocks outside of the you know tackle box. No chop blocks you know here or there. Now it's just like let's just stop doing it. Let's stop hammering people at the knees. Yeah, exactly. Uh, offensive and defensive play callers are allowed to use headset communication systems regardless uh, of whether they are on the field or in the booth. Didn't know this was a rule uh, before that that you couldn't. Uh, I guess maybe only the booth could talk to the player players in their helmets. Um, a horse collar tackle has been expanded to include the area at the nameplate and above. Uh, a team will be flagged for delay of game uh, if they attempt to call a timeout when not permitted to do so. And they eliminated the five-yard penalty for an eligible receiver illegal touching the forward pass after being out of bounds and reestablishing himself in bounds and makes it a loss of down. There it is. All right, 2017 brought us the targeting amendment to include immediate disqualification for egregious hits to the head. They like to not really define what egregious is per se. It's kind of like, wow, that looked like it hurt. That's a 15-yard penalty. I don't know. But um, egregious hits. 
Uh, leaping over the line of scrimmage to block extra point attempts or field goals is outlawed. Uh, and this was kind of a Cam Chancellor Bobby Wagner special. They used, they they would try that. Seemed like multiple times. I remember there was one time he jumped over, blocked the punt or blocked the field goal. Um, there was a flag, not him. And then he goes back and does it again. Yeah. And this time he missed it because the guy shanked, but he shanked it and it didn't go in. Right. I'm yeah. just like Cam Chancellor was a freak, man. One of my favorite players, kind of like. I don't know. Uh, he didn't play for the team for too long before he ended up with that neck injury and kind of retired. But for those four, three, four years, four or five years, man, my favorite player. I'd be proud to wear a 31 jersey for sure. Absolutely. Uh, teams will now be penalized 15 yards and the game clock will be restored if they commit multiple fouls on the same play in an effort to manipulate the game clock. They will not go for chicanery. No. All right. Um, and uh, your final one for uh, 2016? Oh, yeah. Uh, the or final, 17? The final say on replay reviews and challenges now belongs to senior vice president of officiating and his supervisory crews who will work from the league's New York command center. So you didn't – I think that was kind of doing away with, like, them – looking under the, the hood at the peep show, looking yeah. box that was just very... I like how they call it the command game. center now, and not just yeah. the New York office. Right, right. The command uh, center. So yeah, moving on to 2018, we just have a couple for the next two years. Um, 2018, they uh, eliminated the requirement that a team who scores the winning touchdown at the end of regulation of the game has to kick the extra point. I thought that had been the rule for years when I read that. I was kind of surprised. Uh, lowering the head to initiate contact with the helmet is now a foul. 2019 personal fouls or unsportsmanlike fouls are now able to be enforced on the succeeding try or succeeding free kick after a touchdown. So you can either, if there's a penalty on a touchdown play, you can either accept the penalty on the extra point or on the ensuing kickoff. League personnel can now disqualify players for both football and non-football acts. I don't really know. I guess. I don't know. It's like throwing stuff on the sideline or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. All right. So that ends the uh, change in the game category. Next, we have the fantasy draft. So uh, let's get into that, Jeremy. Let's do it. It seems to be the person who gets that first quarterback pick wins the entire thing. So let's see if this holds true today. So your first pick for quarterback, who is it? Well, Mike, let me tell you. So just to preface this for everyone, we're doing the Dynasty by Decade. I was like, hey, Mike, should we include 2020 and 2021 in with our 2010s just so we cover everything? And his response was, no, I'm not letting you get those Patrick Mahomes points. I'm not. So okay, that's why I I'm inclusive. I just wanted to I just wanted to give the people what they want. Uh, we got to stick to the format, dude. So I had the first pick, and it was a pretty obvious choice. I had to take Aaron Rodgers of the Green Bay Packers, uh, AA Ron or A Rod, whatever you want to call him. I had him for 2011, 2014, 2016. He had 13,450 passing yards and 123 touchdowns. 
passing, 895 rushing yards, and nine rushing touchdowns. So, there it is. Good little run. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Aaron Rodgers still doing it to this day, honestly. Sir. My first pick, Drew Brees. I got uh, 11, 12, and 16. Um, he had uh, just over 1,050 fantasy points, 1,500 or 15,861 yards, 126 touchdowns, another six rushing. Right. Uh, my second quarterback pick for the 2010s was Cam Newton of the Carolina Panthers, uh, 2011, 12, and 15. He had 11,750 passing yards and 75 touchdowns, but also chipped in 2,080 rushing yards and another 32 rushing touchdowns. Yeah, that 32 rushing touchdowns is by far more than any other quarterback on our list today so i got tom brady only 10 rushing touchdowns in comparison so i had him for 11 12 and 15 we have a total of 14,832 passing yards 109 passing touchdowns another 194 rushing with those 10 touchdowns so yeah he actually had 36 yards receiving too so let's not hey. leave that out good on you good, three, three good job there. good job tom um yeah, and you you were the first pick with running backs. I you, was, I was. That? Uh, so my first pick uh, running back was Arian Foster, uh, 2010, 11, and 12. It's kind of like the sweet spot of his good years, uh, 2010 being the best. Uh, he had 4,264 uh, rushing yards, 41 touchdowns, another 1,400 receiving, and six touchdowns. He was kind of like that uh, fantasy football how darling. Many, how many rushing yards did he have again? Um, one thousand oh four thousand two hundred and sixty four. Nice. Okay. Um. Yeah. My first running back. The, the running backs were really, really uh, not great for the two the two thousand tens. Um, they were being phased out, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, and it was a lot of uh, running back by committee. So. Yep. And a lot of guys only had a couple good years. Not really. You know, there's there's a lot of good two year running backs. Not a lot of three year guys but my uh my first running back was todd Gurley of the st louis rams in 2017 18 and 19 uh, he rushed for 3400 little over 3400 yards and 42 touchdowns had another 1575 yards receiving and 12 touchdowns he had an amazing 17 and 18 season i mean he was everywhere in the nfl advertising like yeah. He was like the next level. And yeah, and then in 2019, which is probably his third best year, he went from somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 fantasy points for the entire season to 184. So in compared, right. like basically his output halved. But he did so good in those first two years, you can't help but take him. Yeah, exactly. Good job. All right, so I had LaShawn McCoy was my second pick. Shady. Uh, we have him for 11, 13, 16. Uh, he ran for 4,183 yards, 39 touchdowns, another 1,210, and six receiving yards. Ran into him in the Philly streets. Uh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. So when I was down there visiting my brother in Philly, I think it was when they had the NFL draft out there. Okay. I went out there for that, and uh, there was a lot of people kind of middling around, and I think he pulled over one of those fancy Beamers, like the 750 or something like yeah. that, the real expensive ones pulled over and got out and uh, as we were walking by did a little head nod and he went in to get some some lunch i guess nice. so LaShawn mccoy my second pick all right um and my second pick was ezekiel elliott uh dallas cowboys for 2016 18 and 19 
he, he had uh, 4,420 yards rushing and 33 touchdowns and chipped in another 930 receiving yards and six more touchdowns. And you really like those guys that have a, a record. No, it's just that's the guy with the next most points. I hear you. I hear you. Just win, baby. I just want to <laughs> win, all right? I need to tie this up. All right. Uh, that's so, right. yeah, I get to go. Speaking of uh, questionable uh, players and me choosing them, my first pick for wide receiver was Antonio Brown, a.k.a. A.B., a.k.a. Mr. Big Chest, a.k.a. MBC, a.k.a. Ronald Ocean. And it actually said that on Pro Football Reference, and I was dying so laughing funny. when I saw that. So but funny. But I, t- I texted me and Mike, so everybody knows, the little behind-the-scenes uh, preview here for you guys. Mike will be like, what? Who, who do you want for, you know, it's your pick. This, And so I had first wide receiver choice. I'm, I'm going through the numbers, and I'm like, oh, Antonio Brown's the guy. So I texted him Antonio Brown, and he's like, for your first pick? And I was like, then it just like, I, I, I'm like, hold on, hold on. And I second guessed myself, went back, did all the research over again. I'm like, yes, I want Antonio Brown. And he's like, so I chose him for 2014, 15, and 18. And Mike's like, oh, I missed 2015. Sorry. Good pick. Or sorry, I don't know if he said good pick. Probably not. Anyway, he had 4,829 yards receiving and 38 touchdowns and added in another 40 yards rushing and he also had two special teams touchdowns during that stretch so first of all you nailed the criminal segue so kudos to you you. um secondly my first pick for uh wide receivers calvin johnson also known as megatron i don't know if he has any of those other kind of mega ocean i don't know uh he had a total of 5137 yards receiving 33 touchdowns this included what is still a record today in 2012 of a receiving total of 1964 yards I, lo- I just learned this year i don't it didn't hit my radar that there had never been a 2000 yard receiver in the history of the nfl i was like wow yeah these marks are being hit and left and right 4000 you know passing 5000 passing 2000 rushing no one's done 2000 receiving interesting Cooper side note came close very year. yeah uh so my second pick for wide receiver was jordy nelson his nickname white lightning Didn't oh boy that. i never knew that anyway uh, so he's with the Green Bay Packers. Jordy Nelson didn't know that. At the time, 2011, 14, and 16. He had 4,038 receiving yards and 42 touchdowns. And I don't know how you name somebody White Lightning if they have zero rushing yards. So go ahead. Just to blur down the sideline, I guess. You got the, yeah, you Demarius got Thomas, um, RIP, 4,483 receiving yards, 35 touchdowns. Um, looking at his career just really how consistent he was um i haven't really compared him to all of the other kind of receivers that are in the the hall of fame but his numbers look pretty darn good to me so maybe maybe he gets in yeah i I wouldn't mind seeing him in i think he's a he had a, a hell of a run he had a hell of a run for sure um Including so, yeah. that touch, the aforementioned touchdown in the playoffs to beat the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yes. That was pretty yes, great. Indeed. 
All right, flex. So I had Jamal Charles, really a flash in the pan, uh, especially that 2013 year. Uh, had 3,787 rushing yards, 26 touchdowns, another 15 receiving, and another 15 touchdowns receiving. That's that's crazy. 15. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's I, all from Alex Smith. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I ended up taking Christian McCaffrey uh, for his first three seasons, 17, 18, and 19. Uh, he ended up with 2,920 rushing yards and 24 TDs, uh, another 2,523 receiving yards and 15 touchdowns, plus he uh, chipped in 50 yards passing and one more touchdown. Man. Like, the receiving numbers were insane. I couldn't believe it. It's like you can't pass that up at that point. Yeah, speaking of white lightning, I mean, it's like the the thir- the thousand thousand club with the thousand yards rushing and receiving in 2019. He was totally off my radar. I think I had him on the list, but kind of deleted him as I was looking through things. I don't know what I missed. I clearly missed the 2019 season because uh, even if you look at the the yards from scrimmage and total T you know total tds that should have been on the list or at least on my radar so i'm starting to feel good both i mean both of your guys vastly outscored me i'll just say that so my second pick uh marshawn lynch uh personal favorite i was you know at the end of the day i got kind of one one of my favorite running backs of the decade um 4153 uh, yards rushing, 36 touchdowns there, another 879 receiving and seven touchdowns, and a Super Bowl ring. Yeah, I thought that you were going to take Le'Veon Bell, who I took with my second uh, flex pick, and I was going to I was going to take Marshawn Lynch. And so when you picked Marshawn Lynch, I was shocked. Um, so he obviously was with the Pittsburgh Steelers at the time, four, 2014, 16, and 17. Uh, he had 3,920 yards rushing and 24 touchdowns, another 2,125 yards receiving, and seven touchdowns. So, Le'Veon Bell, winner, winner, chicken dinner. There you go. All right, so next I is... Had tight end. Oh, you had sorry. tight ends, yeah. So, uh, I was waiting for the tight end position to pop, like do something. Like I was expecting, like as we move through the 2000s, that we would have like a plethora of tight ends to choose from. Um, not really. You have like the top four or five, and you have everyone else in the league. So it's still they the tight end position has been a very difficult one throughout this whole podcast series. Yeah. Honestly, this one it was easy. It was just easy to grab four guys out. There were. Because, yeah, I think, I don't know who your second pick was. I can't remember, but I might. Well, we'll get to it. Why don't you just give me your first pick and we'll we'll slow this bleeding a little bit. Uh, Rob Gronkowski. I'm going to go ahead and take Gronk. Uh, New England Patriots, 2011, 14, and 15. uh, 3,627 receiving yards and 40 touchdowns. 40 touchdowns. 40 touchdowns for a freaking tight end. And uh, added in one more rushing touchdown. Well, my first pick was Jimmy Graham, um, 3,500 yards receiving and 36 touchdowns. Right there, but still (laughs) just way below. Uh, My second guy, I was actually, I actually went and looked up to to stick with my my criminal uh, outlook on my team here. I I went and looked up Aaron Hernandez's numbers. Didn't hold a candle to Travis Kelsey. So I went with Travis Kelsey, Kansas City Chiefs. 17 through 19. Uh, he had 3,600 yards receiving, 
So almost as many as Gronk and 23 touchdowns, obviously many less, but uh, also had a uh, one rushing touchdown. Well, it's good that you're always giving people second chances. So so there you go. For the team, right? All right. I picked Greg Olson, um, 3,185 yards receiving and 16 um, touchdowns. He's also making a good start to his career as a color commentator. I, lo- I love watching uh, the games that he announces. Uh, really good so far. So keep it up, Greg. Also former Seattle Seahawk, right? Jimmy Graham, Seattle Seahawk. Greg Olson, Seattle Seahawk. Get it. All right. All right. Kickers. Who you have? Oh, boy. So my pick for kicker was Steven Goskowski um, for 2012, 13, and 14. Um, he had 467 points. And I'm going to go ahead and announce Jeremy's pick for um, kicker because he's like, just give me the next. By this, we're like, who cares? Like, yeah. I'm tired of this draft at this point. And he's like, just give me the next best one. So he got David Akers, uh, 440 points. So here's the big drum roll, right? I, I think my I think my text to you said, "Is it Adam Vinatieri? I don't really care. Give me the next best kicker." And you said, "No, it's David Akers." Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. I said, "I'll take it." You him. got hooked up. I should have given you Vinatieri. I, might, yeah. I I could have shaved a few points off of this thing. Maybe. All right. So uh, that being said, uh, my score was uh, seven thousand nine hundred ninety-four, and your score for the win eighty-two hundred. Yeah, well, love it. there it is. We actually finish even. Hey, this is insane. Good game, Mike. Yeah, good game. <laughs> virtual right. handshake. All right, cool, cool. All right, now the next um, that ends our fantasy draft. The final one for you know this section of the podcast for season one. It was a great, great time. Um, let's get into our winners and losers for this decade. My winner, my first winner is the spread offense. It became one of the predominant offenses uh, in the NFL. Fun to watch, too. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, my winner, I only had one winner for the decade, and that was aging NFL quarterbacks keeping their skill set to uh, just at all new heights. I mean, you're dealing, you know, you got Tom Brady hitting 40 years old you got drew Brees hitting 40 years old by the end of the decade yeah and still playing at high high levels i mean we're we're in the 2021 season right now and at the end of the 2021 season now and aaron Rodgers is 37 and you know you got and tom brady still i mean tom brady is if he won the super bowl this year you wouldn't be shocked and like you said he's older than any of the opposing coaches left in the NFC uh, right. NFC playoffs. So, yeah, I think aging quarterbacks had a, a you know a, a, a hell of a, a hell of a run there at the end of the 2010s. Yeah, that's actually a really good pick. All right, so my second winner is Los Angeles. Uh, now has two teams um, to root for and a new mega mega stadium to watch them in. Um, I will also say they are short one uh, Walmart, too. So that's also a win. <laughs> the winner, winner right there, man. I love it. So, yeah, that, no, that's that's absolutely true. Because that, that was the thing, man. The L.A. market, like just not having a team in the L.A. market for the last, however, 20 years or whatever, 20, 30 years almost uh, since the, the Raiders left. 
Um, or did the Rams leave after? I guess the Rams had moved to Anaheim at least. So yeah, yeah. They, they were they were still the Los Angeles Rams, but they were not um, technically in the city limits. So. Right. All right. And uh, our last uh, of our categories, we're going to get to the losers. All right. My first loser, um, Donald Trump. Twice, I guess, uh, throughout this decade. He couldn't afford the Buffalo Bills, trying to get back into that league again and was denied. And then he incites a nationwide animus amongst fans and causes the league wide protest. So the minute he opens his mouth, everyone's like, you know, hold my beer. I'm going to go out and just like make this worse. So I think I tweeted out at one point, like when everybody was like, uh, I don't, I don't care. Or like, uh, I'm not watching the NFL anymore. I had a few friends who were like, I'm not watching the NFL anymore, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, all right. I'm like, look, man. I this too shall pass. Yeah. I, well, I went on Twitter and I was like, uh, Russell Wilson could go into the middle of Times Square and shoot somebody and I would still watch the NFL. Like, Joe, like playing off of Donald Trump saying that he could go into the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and people would still elect him or whatever. Oh, wow. Yeah, so anyway. He is a man with what he's... His use of, of language is phenomenal. Oh, All right, cool. My second loser is uh, the running back. As we discussed, we saw numbers um, kind of really just decline since the 2000s. The 2000s seemed to be simultaneously the best decade for running backs and the last of their relevancy. So um, they're still an important part of a functioning offense, of course. Um, but obviously the teams with top running backs have a better chance of winning. But their usage and their individual importance has dropped. So it seems like you can interchange, like you mentioned, and shuffle uh, running backs interchangeably or based on you know situational football. Um, so for comparison, the top running backs in the 2000s earned over 900, fan, 900 plus fan points, some of them, a couple of them in the thousands, um, whereas the RBs, or the running backs for this decade, they're in that 700 range. So it was a really significant drop in at least fantasy scoring, which has a is a indicator of you know usage and yards and touchdowns so uh yeah my only uh, yeah i know i agree that's the running backs just had you know like they're they're nothing anyway you don't know running backs don't really get second contracts anymore and if you do it usually ends up being a bad situation by the end of it so right i mean i know the seahawks just gave chris carson another deal and he was out i mean neck is yeah, Toast. surgery is probably yeah. done now. So um, I think I'm pretty sure they front-loaded his contract, though, so hopefully it won't be too bad. But um, anyway, my uh, my first, I guess, and really only loser of the decade, and it probably could have been – this team could have been a loser for damn near any decade. There's a couple that they were, were uh, up there, but uh, the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Mike, sorry. Sorry to you. Sorry to Mep. I'm um, – Apologize to you guys, but you guys started off the decade by hiring uh, Mike Holmgren to oversee football operations. Didn't work out at all. What a huge failure! That yeah, was. what a failure. Um, and they probably should have known better because he kind of, by the time he left Seattle, he had already been stripped of his uh, personnel powers and uh, general manager duties. So you know they. It just it was a you know the the quarterbacks that you guys went through in the 2010s and then you you ended up getting uh, the what in 2019 you had uh, the first pick and drafted Baker Mayfield who is a 
is a joke of a quarterback right now. And yeah, I mean, the city's hurting. You, they, they, the, uh, the people of Cleveland need the Browns to be better. So what else do they have to live for, really? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I couldn't say it any differently. I don't think it's I mean, been, it's been a rough go. It is what it is. Um, they had some opportunity. They made some back choices, but this is nothing new for the franchise. Um, we thought a new owner would, would change that. It didn't. Uh, we thought new general manager would change that. It didn't. Um, I do like uh, their current general manager, and I like um, Stefanski um, as a coach. Um, they look like they can compete out there. Their defense is solid. Um, their offensive running game is fantastic. Um, I'd like to see a little bit more depth at wide receiver, um, after the loss of OBJ. Um, but you know, it's just a matter of getting all the pieces pulled together and putting together a game plan. I think their one big flaw in offense right now is the quarterback. Um, I think Case Keenum is him and Baker are the same thing. And I don't normally, I see Keenum making mistakes, but I don't see him panicking and blacking out like I've seen with Baker Mayfield. So um, he might have the better physical talent, but, you know, I I don't know. What are you going to do? I mean, Mike, when you just drafted a quarterback number one three years ago and Case Keenum is a safer option, not a good place to be. That is very true. All right, well, I'll wipe my tears later. Um, So my next loser is the Indianapolis Colts. After successfully tanking and landing the top quarterback prospect, the best quarterback uh, prospect in 30 years, Andrew Luck, he retires and the Colts have been struggling to fill that position ever since. So you bring back, uh, you bring Phillip Rivers over, you have a couple of uh, former backup, you know, quarterbacks from other teams you bring in to give them a shot. You, um, Jacoby Brissett, you um, bring in and trade for uh, Carson Wentz, and that seems to massively backfire, and he just shrinks at the at the worst moment, makes mistakes. I think he had two interceptions and a fumble in that last game against the Jaguars, basically eliminating, not basically, eliminating them from the playoffs. So um, they continue to struggle. I, I, I love that in-season hard knocks. I think they have the right coach in place and they have a lot of, um, enjoyable players, players that I am now rooting for because of that show. Um, but like the, like the Browns, they seem to be missing that quarterback, that piece that just puts them over the edge there. So I hope they can find that guy, uh, get rid of Wentz immediately. Um, I don't know. He, he should be probably like driving a tractor right now. Carson, so. yeah. Carson Wentz is not the answer for sure. For anybody. All right. My next loser is Colin Kaepernick. Um, I say that kind of affectionately, I guess. Um, he doesn't, he does, he's not a loser as a person, but he kind of took a lot of L's for a lot of stuff going on and was put under fire. And there was, he has a lawsuit, um, that yeah, essentially saying that the NFL owners forced him out and wouldn't hire him back and it was collusion and all these other things. And he, he basically took a stand and gave up his uh, career for it, uh, the game that he loved. And uh, certainly I, I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, but, uh, you know, it sucks that he had to go through that. Yeah, yeah, no. And, you know, and I think he could have been included in our winners section too for 
shining a light on police brutality. And even though, I mean, I think his, his career was heading towards the end regardless. He was going to be a backup probably. Like, I think his, his, he had taken a lot of hits. I think his skill set was waning. Um, but, you know, I mean, he got a big Nike deal. He got a Netflix deal. I mean, he's, made, he's probably making more money now than he ever did in the NFL. Well, he's a bit of a soothsayer. He, he figured out, well, he publicized something that was well known, obviously, in, in the in the black community, but kind of right. brought it to the attention of the rest of the United States. And, you know, shortly thereafter, we see a lot of these um, events happening that led to this particular movement that we, are, you know, are in the middle of now. And, um yeah, so I mean, I'm not saying I, f- I feel like his path as he looks back on it now, uh, he's probably glad everything happened the way that it did. And I'm sure he's very happy with where he is in life and all that kind of other stuff. But, right. you know, just from a football perspective, it sucks that uh, taking a stand like that really had such a major effect on who he was in, in, in that game and in, in, in football. So. I hope he I hope he does well. I'll be rooting for him and whatever he does, I guess. So, um, except throwing that corner to uh, Crabtree, that's the only thing I was not rooting for. And yeah, thank goodness that didn't happen. All right. So my final loser: uh, NFL owners five died, and at least two had significant legal issues to deal with leading up to their deaths. Um, so Jerry Richardson, legal issues described above with all the uh, sexual harassment and abuse charges, uh, verbal abuse. I don't know if he actually punched anybody. And then Bob McNair, um, when they were doing the, it, this was his comic in, a comment in response to the Houston Texans kneeling. Um, you can't let the inmates run the prison. So um, a lot of players obviously took offense to it, including their starting left tackle, Dwayne Brown. And thank goodness he did because he forced a trade to the Seattle Seahawks. It's probably the only shining light that we have on our offensive line at the moment. So as, as big of an idiot as this guy seemed to be, um, we got a great player because of it. So I'm pretty sure Jerry Richardson made some wild comments about that too. It was like very, I was saying he wouldn't let any of his players, you know, his players weren't allowed to do yeah, it. Yeah, I love when these guys take these hard stances. I mean, I just think that they're so removed from reality, it seems like they understand business perhaps and they under, understand certain things at expert levels, but just taking the temperature of the room. And knowing when to just be quiet, um, you know, I've been guilty of that. <laughs> Not to this right. extent, obviously, but, you know, sometimes you just got to keep your mouth shut and listen. Yep, I agree, man. All right, man. Well, that ends the categories, the final categories for um, the uh, decade sections of this season one here. So we're really going to talk about who won the decade at this point, right? All right. So it, I guess it's time for us to figure out who won the decade. So probably no surprise to many of you out there, the winner of the decade is the New England Patriots. They had a dynasty score of 54, by far more than any other team this decade. They made the playoffs 10 times, all 10 years. Um, They had conference champion three times, NFL champion three times in 2014, 16, and 18, um, and the first team to win the decade twice. So they won the 2000s. Yeah, yeah. All right, who's our runner-up? Runner-up, we uh, we're talking Seattle Seahawks, Mike. Yes, finally uh, some finally. recognition. We, we got on the board, all right. We did last one, but we got on the board. 
Uh, Dynasty by decade score was 23. We had a 159 record for the decade and made the playoffs eight times. Conference champions twice. NFL champions once in 2013. Got our first Super Bowl win that year. And, you know... Rough, rough 2014 Super Bowl made made the Super Bowl in consecutive seasons. Uh, that that hurt, but uh, you know I'm glad we got on the board and you know it was a so a little anecdote for that 2014 NFC champion. Was it yeah the 2014 season the the NFC Championship game? Yeah. So um, apparently we had friends at that point, and one of those friends was a Packers fan. And, you know, they wanted us to come over. And my wife said, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's go. We'll go over there and hang out and watch the game. I go, I don't know. This is a playoff game. It's again, I'm at a Packer fan's house. So I can't really, like, I'm going to be like, I I can't cuss. I can't do all this. You're too nice, Mike. You are too nice. I I could, I I, I felt so boxed (laughs) in watching this game and then on top of that he throws like three interceptions in the first half of the game or the first three quarters of the game and i'm just like this is over i just what are we doing here and i'm miserable and he's happy and all this stuff's happening and then all of a sudden the comeback starts coming back we get the onside kick and the and the touchdown and the crazy two-point conversion where he's scrambling around just lops it in the air and catches it and i'm just like all right so they come back and they tie the game at 22 we're going into overtime we win it win the the toss and that play, he says he saw it before in the game, and he calls the audible, like, we're doing this, sends Curse straight down the middle, drops it in his breadbasket, you yeah. know, we win the game. And in generally, it would be a moment where I'm just, like, laying on the floor, just, like, celebrating and all this other stuff, but I had to keep it all in. It felt such a, like, a muted moment in my life. But I will say, to wrap this up, when I, when I saw that win, I was like, that's the Super Bowl for us. To be able to... Yeah to have that perform you see that often there was like really good game was really close and all this amazing stuff happened to get him there the next game they're flat mm-hmm. it's almost i mean just yeah it's anecdotally i see it all the time so i'm like i was really worried that we'd be in the situation where we'd come out flat and we kind of came out flat fought our way back and we're in position to win the game and then obviously the pick at the again with the inside slants don't do it just don't do it it never yeah, works out yeah, right ask kurt warner all right, so Seattle Seahawks. Any other comments regarding them and the and um, that in their drive? I tell a quick. Yeah, you just told your story. During that game, my buddy Doug came to he came over to watch the game. We're my you see you can see my fireplace from where you're sitting right now. Mike. Yes, my TV was above the fireplace. He as the comeback he would he was about to leave at halftime, and as the comeback starts going on, he goes up and he kind of like leans up against the the mantle. Or the the hearth, I guess. Puts his foot up on the hearth and is like sitting there and watching the game up close. And uh, with some big play happen, and I'm just like, you can't move. You can't move. You can't move. And he spent the rest of the second half of that game sitting like that, standing like that, I should say. And uh, yeah, we won. It was and it was. We had a great celebration. It, it was fun. We were freaking out, high fiving, freaking running around. It was crazy. Yeah, it was awesome. Anyway. It was a good run. Yeah, it was. And so, it got us to be a runner-up. So yeah. so I felt like I needed to give some, pay some respect to a few other teams uh, from this decade. Um, we had a lot of um, 
a lot of very variants in, in teams this decade. I mean, I'll, we'll give a little anecdote a little bit later, but there was a lot of teams that had shots at playoffs and opportunity throughout the 2010s. It's actually pretty darn amazing. So one of the shout outs was um, an honorable mention to the Denver Broncos. They had a dynasty score of 20. They went 89 and 71 for the decade. Uh, made the playoff five times. They were conference championships twice and won a world championship uh, in 2015. Peyton Manning joined the team in 2013, as we all know. Uh, immediately took them to the Super Bowl, um, and they were the number one offense in that 2013 season. Uh, set all sorts of records. Um, got them back kind of on... Defense wins championship. Yeah, so, well, uh, and I'll exactly what happened so when he was on his kind of fumes at the towards the end of his career in that 2015 season it was in fact the defense that ultimately got him in a position to win that second super bowl so um there's my first honorable mention well and the funny thing is man that the uh the patriots had their dynasty by decade score was more than the seahawks and broncos combined yep and uh, just show how dominant they were but uh the next honorable mention uh, is the Green Bay Packers. Their dynasty by decade score is actually a little higher than the Broncos at 22. Uh, they had a 102-56-2 record for the decade. Made the playoffs eight times, conference champions once, and world champions once. Uh, and, I mean, yeah, if they beat the Seahawks in that Green Bay game, or uh, in that 2014 NFC Championship, I think they probably take care of the Patriots, but um, you know, who knows? So, uh, yeah, they, they won the, the championship in 2010. Um, top team of the NF- NFC throughout the decade, including three NFC Championship game appearances, and then obviously that epic 2014 NFC Championship game with Seattle. So Yeah, over the last three years alone, um, they have gone um, 13, at least thir- have at least 13 wins over the last um, three seasons. So yeah. they've always been at the top of the NFC. They've always been a team that you really needed to uh, pay attention to. And I thought they deserved to be on this list. All right. My final honorable mention is the San Francisco 49ers. Um, with all due respect, um, they were uh, a team that I actually – not feared, but was anxious when we played them. Their uh, destiny score or dynasty score was 22. They went 80 and 79 uh, for the decade. So they were kind of all over the place. But tor- but in that middle, that middle section there, they made two conference championships and uh, they went to and they lost two Super Bowls. One in 2012, um, v Ravens, and one in 2009, uh, 19 rather. V Chiefs. So I remember when that I remember watching that Ravens game, uh, the Ravens Super Bowl, and just like the Ravens were kicking their ass, and the power went out at halftime. Oh, that's right. That? Yeah, and and super, like, super dumb. I'm like, what is? Yeah, I could not believe it. I was like, this is all a. I was like, this is a sham. Somebody from the 49ers went and flipped the switch to, to get rid of the momentum. And obviously you lose momentum anyway with the long Super Bowl halftime perform, you know, for halftime shows. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I had an interesting observation. So I was looking at our chart 
um, from like the 1950s and on just the other day. And I noticed that you look at the 1950s, there's only seven teams that made the playoffs. I will say that it was a little bit different structure back then. They didn't have deep wild card playoffs or anything like that. It was just basically conference championships and maybe a couple other teams if they had a, a tie. So, um, that being said, there were 31 teams that made the playoffs in the 2010s. So almost the entire league at some point made the playoffs. And right. it's an interesting point because it, it really, those, those individual fans have chances. So a lot of people are complaining about how bad the games were for, um, this last wild card round, a lot of beatdowns and high scoring or lopsided games. Um, and you know, there's always this wonderful thing about a fan. You have hope. You have hope as you enter the playoffs. You have hope when it, the new season starts. It's an important component of being a fan is you have to have that hope. And yeah. this is definitely illustrated um, during uh, this 2010 decade. Is There's a lot of hope for a lot of fans, with the exception of the Oakland Raiders or LA uh, Las Vegas Raiders at this point. They were the only team not to make the playoffs in that decade. Uh-huh. Their last appearance was in the 2002 Super Bowl, where they lost to Tampa. Wow. So they didn't. I didn't realize they didn't make the the entire decade. 2020. Yeah. The, oh my gosh, that's wild. That's very interesting. I hope everybody listened to the end to hear that little uh, tidbit because yeah. that's very interesting. Um, all right, I think that wraps up our uh, dynasty by the decade. Uh, the final. The final one until I guess we come back in twenty. Well, and, yeah, we're, uh, yeah, I know, right? I mean, it's our next like full installment of the uh, of the dynasty by decade. This so. kind of ends season one, if you will. We might have a couple of follow up episodes just to you know maybe get some corrections in or or talk about some you know current events or something like that. Uh, but we have a couple of other uh, seasons that we're thinking about, and we hope to have those out here soon. But this definitely concludes our valuation of the NFL by decade. Absolutely. It's been fun, Mike. I hope everybody's enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, till next time. It's been fun. Man, I'm just here so I don't get fined. <laughs> till next time, guys. <laughs>